morning, folks. How are you? Wow. Good morning, folks. Uh, we will call the City Council's budget work session to order. And uh, this morning, our first uh, presentation is our assessor. <coughs> Madam Vice Chair, would you like for me to read the council evacuation announcement? Uh, you know, Madam Clerk, that probably would be a very good idea. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exit to the left or right front of council chamber or the east-west stairway outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use the elevators or the escalator. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay 8th and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually in hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, we uh, will go to uh, the next uh, presentation on the list, which would be non-departmental, and come back to the assessor once they've uh, joined us. Mr. Brown, good morning. Good morning, Madam Vice President and members of City Council. My name is Jay Brown, Director of the Department of Budget and Strategic Planning, and I will be giving a very brief Overview of the non-departmental budget for the city of Richmond for FY19 and FY20. You have the template in front of you, and I believe you all received that over the weekend. Uh, but if I may start off, that the non-departmental budget in FY18 is about $78 million. The recommendation in FY20 is going from $78 million to $91.4, and then about $91.6 in FY20. So there are some changes from FY18 to FY19 and 20, uh, many of which have already been explained during the first presentation, but I will go over some of those major highlights um, right now. If you recall, one of the major changes includes a $9.1 million increase in FY19 and a $9.2 million increase in FY20, which is to show the funds for that's coming from the mills tax, the tax increase in the mills tax that will go straight into a reserve for the Richmond Public Schools Capital Construction Fund. It will be transferred from the general fund straight into the fund balance, specifically and only for this fund. That is the largest portion of the increase in non-departmental. Um, next, a major change is an increase in the GRTC contribution, which is transportation services. You will see about a $1.1 million increase in both FY19 and 20, which is just an increase over FY18, so it's not an additional increase in 20, but the same increase um, from 18 and 19 and 20. Um, that funding will be used for, you see to the side of that, 271,000 that will be used for additional programmatic costs for the school free ride program. $632,000 um, is recommended to pay for increases in health insurance for GRTC, and then 250,000 is for the senior discount rate break. If you recall, there was a separate line item for the rate break. You would see that zeroed out in 19 and 20, but that is included in the contribution to GRTC for $250,000. Another major change is an increase to the Richmond Behavioral Health Authority, about $733,000 um, on top of FY18. That funding is recommended uh, to be given to RBHA um, to address 
issues associated with the growing opioid and substance abuse issues that um, are facing this city. And we know that this is something that's going on nationwide. Another significant major change, an increase in the Richmond Ambulance Authority, about $594,000. Um, that is um, the increase in FY18, uh, and it's the same amount as in FY19 versus FY20. Um, that increase um, is provided to the Ambulance Authority that is to assist them, particularly with the need because they're having challenges generating revenues. Um, they're having some issues with um, people that are not paying their bills. And that was one of their requests to the city. This is primarily um, to cover that. You will see the increase in non-departmental for the salary study. This is specifically for the compensation and classification study to bring certain employees up to a new minimum range and to bring staff up to a living wage, those that are below a living wage. Um, you see half of the cost is budgeted in FY19. Um, that will be effective January 1, and then an estimate for the full amount for FY20. Um, moving forward, you see an increase in the operating subsidy to the Greater Richmond Convention Center Authority. This is tied directly to our lodging taxes. The amount of funding that we receive in lodging taxes um, goes directly to Greca. Uh, if you recall, during our first presentation, we are anticipated to receive a minor um, um, contribution back from Greca as a result of um, growth and our lodging taxes, about 200 and a little over 200,000 FY19 and a little over 600,000 FY20 in revenue that will come back as a result of um, positive growth in our lodging taxes. Um, you will also see um, a slight decrease in 19 and then an increase in FY20 for our, the general fund contribution to information technology. Um, this was explained during the IT presentation a few weeks ago regarding the cost increases in FY20, but there's a slight decrease in FY19. Um, and then you will see an increase um, about $377,000 on top of 18 for the YMCA, which is geared specifically for after school programming. And then you will see an increase of about $268,000 um, on top of the contribution FY18 for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund to get that total recommendation to a million dollars in both fiscal years for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. If I may go all the way down to the end of this, um, you will see that there are some decreases in non-departmental as well. Let me see if I'm doing this right. There we go. I'm kind of looking at the lower half of the page. Um, if you recall doing the five-year forecast presentation as well as the presentation that was given um, a week after the budget was submitted, you would see the contribution to the Philip Morris incentive grant is remaining flat in FY19 and will be eliminated in FY20. That contribution is $1,250,000 in FY19, which will be the last payment, and it is no longer um, needs to be budgeted in FY20. So you see a $1,250,000 reduction in non-departmental for this line item in FY20 only. You will see a decrease in the program known as the 311 call center. If you recall during the mayor's budget presentation, um, the call center is recommended to be created as a new agency, the Department of Citizen Service and Response. So those funds were essentially um, transferred or reallocated in terms of a new department. So the funding is no longer needed within non-departmental. And then you'll see about a $300,000 reduction in the tax relief for the elderly 
programmer. I want to be clear that this is not a reduction to the program. This is not, well, this is not a change in the um, program in terms of the requirements or the eligibility. The program will re remain the exact same. This is more aligning the budget with the projected expenditures. So no change in the program or who will be eligible. This is just aligning, again, the budget with the projected expenditures from the past. Um, normally the city has not spent up to $3 million, which was the budget. This brings it down to about $2.7 million, the budget. Again, no change to the program, no change to who is eligible, no change to the requirements. You will see some slight reductions in some of the economic incentive grants. Some of the grants are, for lack of better words, are falling off or no longer needed, need to be paid. As an example, you will see the final payment in Fulton is in FY19, so that funding is no longer needed in FY20 of $250,000. The final payment for the Clayco Economic Development Grant should be in FY, well, is being reduced by $200,000, okay? Um, and then you will see a reduction in the GRTC equipment note by $197,000. Those are some of the major changes. Again, you will see some changes for some entities that might be a few thousand dollars, 10, 20, 30, or $40,000. And without going through all of those, these are just some of the major highlights to get to um, a total net increase of over $13 million between FY18 and FY19 and a slight increase in FY20. I'm here to answer any questions that I can on non-departmental. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Council members, uh, are there questions relative to the non-departmental yes, presentation? Yes, Ms. Trammell. Yes, thank you. Jay, you, um, on page 210 <coughs> for the elderly, and I know that you said that because with my notes, where well, I couldn't get in touch with anybody over the weekend, but anyway, so I apologize if I'm going to have a lot of questions and not have, and be kind of like, not have all the answers. But anyway, um, on page 210, the relief for the elderly is going to be decreased by 10%. If you look, tax relief, elderly, disabled. Yes, ma'am. It's going to be reduced, though, by 10%. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is, and again, that is just aligning the budget with what the city has spent in prior years. That is not going to change the program in terms of who is eligible. Um, that's not making any changes to the program at all. This is just aligning the budget with more of what the city has spent for this particular entity in, in the prior years. So no change to the program at all. So where's the 10% going then if it's going to be cut? The recommendations and non-departmental, just like throughout the budget, were used to balance the entire budget. Because I know I was told last week, look at the bottom of the page, but it doesn't look like it's adding up. All right, but you said it's not going to be cut. Okay, then on, yes, on page um, 211, we haven't paid Capital Regional, we haven't paid our dues to Capital Regional Airport since 2016, if you look on page 211. What's, what, 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 what okay, is the I'm name How come we don't have any money in there for the Capital Regional Airport? The Capital Regional mm -hmm. Airport. If you look on here, I think Chesterfield and Himrico, 
Thank you, because this is one of the other questions that I wanted to ask. Ms. Trammell, would you indicate the page number again so that Jay can go yes, to that? Yes, thank you. 211. Page 211 in the 211. budget. I'm sorry, Jay. I thought I told you. Just right here. If you look. It was 45000 in 2016. Do you just want to tell me that, Charles? Um, yes, um, Councilwoman Trammell. Um, we did not receive a request from the Capital Regional Airport Commission, and I believe that was a one-time payment in FY16. So we don't, we're not, we do not, I thought we were supposed to give our, our fair share of this too. Um, not to the Capital Regional Airport Commission. We do pay our fair share for the MedFlight program, which is a regional helicopter service that provides me medical flight for the surrounding jurisdictions. All right, Jay, I need, I need some more um, information on that one. Mm -hmm. And then also on page 212, we're paying about $2 million a year to the Richmond Metropolitan Convention Visitor Bureau for what? what how can we give them $2 million? That is basically for the marketing aspect of the convention center. They help market the convention center for the city of Richmond as well as the surrounding counties. Um, my understanding is that they make a request every, every single year, and it is supported by the administration as well as city council. They also make a request of the surrounding jurisdictions. This is tied in part to our lodging taxes. Since the city has seen some um, tremendous growth in our lodging taxes, they're working very hard to bring tourists and visitors to the city. Um, and to market the entire region. Okay, and you said the surrounding counties are giving money to how much? We, ha we can provide that for you. I'm sorry. We can provide that for you. All right, thank you. Absolutely. And then um, on page 213, Southside Community Development Housing Corporation, they're getting $250,000, $125,000 2019, $125,000 2020. Yes, ma'am. What? I mean... What are they doing? What do they get? I mean, why $250,000? Well, I will say that these are the recommendations of the mayor. So you will see some entities that have received some increases relative to others. You will see some entities that um, are, are going to receive a reduction relative to, to others or may not have the funding, but we can provide that for you specifically. I, I definitely need some more Absolutely. information on that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then um, on page 214, Okay, it looks like um, RPS is getting $640,000 for the next two years for scholarships. You're referring to the okay. Richmond Education Foundation for the Future Centers for Promise Scholarships, 320000 in each year? Yes, ma'am. That is, that is actually the same amount that they received in FY18. If you look two, well, really one well, two rows, two lines below that you'll see where they received 320000 in FY18, and we are rec recommending the same amount in FY1920. Okay, and then on page um, 215, I had a question on 214 about the YMCA, but I went over there and I saw the good work that the YMCA does with after-school programs. Yes, ma'am. So I'll take that one off. But on page 215, the city of Richmond is going to subsidize Commonwealth Catholic charitable $200,000 over the next two years? Yes. 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 <laughs> Why? And we can, again, provide that for you, exactly what they will be doing. We can provide that for you and for any member of city council, well, for all members of council. 
Where is this located? It says the Commonwealth. So where, where is this located? I can find that out for you. It's I probably, yeah. I believe it's on Grace Street, I want to say. Sorry. On Grace near Belvedere, something like that. But, Ms. Trammell, do you have, um, let me just ask you, do you have um, specific organizations you want to know what the funds are going to be utilized for? So maybe we can give that whole list. If you can President, name them. Madam President, if I had gotten in touch with somebody over the weekend with one of our staff, I would have been able to have all this stuff, you know, organized like I did last Monday, okay? Mm-hmm. But anyway, I don't, and I think I have the right to ask these questions being oh, you, a council absolutely. person. And I appreciate you helping me. Absolutely. And, okay, and then, okay, on page 215. It, no, not, it was not your staff, not your staff, my staff, our staff. But anyway... Um, what is called to works, and what are given them over? We're giving them over seven hundred twelve thousand dollars for the next two years. What was the name of the entity? Culture again? Works. Culture Works. Yes, that was um, an entity that should have received funding for in, in the prior years. Um, they are an arts and cultural group, and we can provide the details in terms of what they will be doing. Okay, and then another thing, we give a Maymont Foundation nine hundred twenty thousand dollars over the next two years. Nine hundred twenty thousand for Maymont. I believe their recommendation only increased by ten thousand dollars from the current year, so it's a very slight increase for the Maymont Foundation. I believe. So, and, you, and does the surrounding 000, counties? I'm and sorry. Jay, does surrounding counties give money to to Maymont? I'm pretty certain. You can I'm get that sure. for me. And if not, then I can find that for you. Absolutely, Miss Trammell. Miss Trammell, could I ask you to give them? Go on and give them the full list of entities that you want uh, to have information back on, and then they'll get that to it. But if you'll go through your whole list. Madam President, it looks like everything they asked Jay, it looks like he doesn't have all the answers. I mean, it's not his fault that he doesn't have the answers. Exactly. I mean, I have a right to ask the questions, and I don't want to go all through this book again and, and give him a list. He's already said that if we had, I mean, last week he said if we had further questions to ask him, let him know, and he'll get back with us. And I'm That's what I'm sure saying. that Jay has done that, and the administration has done that when we've asked the questions. If I may, we do have some responses to some questions that are coming down momentarily, and hopefully that will address some of your questions, Councilwoman Trammell. All right, and then we're giving the Richmond Ballet $200,000? Yes. What's that for? I can find out specifically for that as well for you too. But again, I know okay. what they do, right. but I'm like, right. I know that they dance and all that, but I'm asking two hundred thousand dollars. Okay, right. Miss Trammell. So that's not in here, okay? And um, the other one deals with public safety on page two hundred seventeen. Mm-hmm. That's the Richmond Ambulance Authority. Yes. Okay. We're giving them the same thing. No, the ambulance authority, we are recommending an increase of over $500,000 for the ambulance authority. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Ms. Trammell, do you have more? Yes, on page 218. Yes, ma'am. Why is public relations $200,000 more? And that was something else that I that was something else I needed to ask staff, but I couldn't get them. So Jay, you have to I apologize. But anyway, it looks like public relations is getting um, two hundred thousand more. It's like nine hundred thousand. Special events one hundred thirty thousand. Risk management two hundred thousand. 
So, yes. Mr. Brown, if you would get that information Absolutely. back to us. Ms. Trammell has a list, so if you, sure. if someone could record that so we can get the information Absolutely. back. I will make sure that you get that as soon as possible. And she has more. But you understood what I was asking you for. Yes, Thank ma'am. Thank you. And then I, the last thing, we have almost doubled our spending on non-departmental since FY17 um, on page 219. Looks like we've doubled the spending. Yes, if you recall in FY18, the biggest increases in non-departmental would be the inclusion of the two new internal service funds, the contributions from the general fund for the two new internal service funds. I believe about um, oh, really uh, 20 plus 10, about close to $30 million. $30 million? Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mr. Amell? Okay, thank you. Ms. Larson. Thank you for your mm-hmm. your update on the budget. Sure. Um, you and I met a couple months ago yes. um, because I had a paper in to change the process of how non-departmental grants were awarded. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and some of the other folks in the administration indicated that you were changing the process for awarding the, the grants. Um, can you give me an update on that? And Absolutely. Additionally, like I mentioned when I put the paper in, the reason for putting the paper in was to curb the amount of um, time that I spend and hopefully my colleagues spend in individual requests for these grants, which may or may not come with data. And I really wanted to see a process that was based on accountability and data. And I'm wondering, the grants that we gave last year, you know, what are the results? Do we have something on paper that I can look at um, and see what folks did with the money they were awarded last year, especially the ones that are again being awarded money for ne- or proposed to be awarded money for next year. So, just a point of clarification, Ms. Larson, you're asking about the process and not about a budgetary item in this moment. Is that accurate? Yes, but it's related to the money that we're looking at because if. If we approved non-departmental for 20000 for, you know, the Larson nonprofit last year and the Larson nonprofit didn't do anything and didn't, you know, respond in any way, didn't submit a report per the guidelines, but yet this same nonprofit is being awarded another 20000 in this proposed budget, then I need to know because... I need to so know you that want there to get is a some sense sort of, performance. of yeah accountability for all these different nonprofit groups okay. that we're giving money to in the city that we're not just throwing it out there with no parameters around it. Uh, Ms. Larson, Thad Williamson, in the mayor's office, just to provide an update on the process changes since the conversation we had a few months ago uh, this year. 
we overhauled the application uh, entirely and requested all organizations to uh, indicate whether they fit in one of three categories, uh, emphasis on housing-based services, um, education, and then arts and culture. And then there's a fourth category for quasi-governmental organizations. And we asked each of them to provide uh, very specific information in terms of uh, their service levels, their plan of action, why, what they'll be able to do, uh, what they say they're going to do. And so as we get these questions in about specific organizations, we can provide that information that was relayed you know, in, in, in the application uh, to, if you're interested in that level of detail. You know, you're also asking about the current grants. You know, and we do have, I think, staff here um, in human services and others who, who are tracking this. So again, we should be able to provide organization for, from the quarterly updates that the organizations are provided uh, for, for anyone you, you need to know about. Well, specifically, was during in this current fiscal year, a lot of the folks that are being awarded money in the proposed next two years are are the same organizations. So, did you take into account the performance from past past awards and past past grants that the city has awarded? Was, so the, the, the staff who did the initial review of each of the applications were asked to take into everything. Uh, and, but, you know, again, these are year-long grants, so it's, and we're not able to assess their, your, their progress in the current year until the year is over. So it's, it, that's, it's a little bit of a, a challenge to get the full information that they did everything they said they were going to do. For, 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 if it's, for instance, a year-long operating in the schools, obviously by December they haven't done anything, everything. But, but we did ask staff as they evaluated to whether th these organizations are worthy to um, use all available information. Yes. Do you have any of that information in a easy-to-read format, like not a stack of applications like that? I mean, did you all put it in a spreadsheet? or I, I mean, how... How did you go through the process of vetting these organizations and deciding how much to award? I, I, you know, some, yeah, so, some so, so got first, awarded money, yeah, some right. didn't. So Right. So, so first of all, it, it, we did start from a, a zero-based perspective, so there wasn't an assumption that if you got it in the past, you necessarily were going to get it this year, and we said that to everybody up front. So there was, uh, you know, an, an effort to assess the... Um, uh, you know, the, the capacity and performance of each organization, both uh, prospectively in terms of could they really do what they said they're going to do, you know, and, and what information we have on, on current performance if they've gotten grants today. So, so we, we did have uh, expert staff in each area make uh, initial recommendations, and then they were related to the budget office. And as, as Mr. Brown said, we didn't do the best we can to meet the needs based on, uh, you know, quite limited revenues. Mr. Agilesto. Thank you. Um, and I'll, I guess I'll go to the high level instead of the individual grants for a moment. It appears that um, the non-departmental budget is seeing a significant increase in funding. 
Uh, last year, when the mayor proposed his budget, uh, I remember conversations about how the non-departmental budget was um, larger than what most jurisdictions fund. And to the degree that he submitted his budget, he, he removed funding for a lot of programs. That was the FY18 budget that we are currently addressing. And now in the FY19 and FY20 budget, um, the philosophy appears to have changed to the degree of refunding all these programs that the mayor cut last year for this current fiscal year. Can you explain that? Sure. Um, again, I would reiterate, again, this is a zero-based budget. Uh, we started from scratch. We took the priorities of the mayor um, and embedded that within the application process. We had finite resources available, um, and as a result of that, the recommendations were made, as you see, within the proposed budget. Understood. And when you talk, Mr. Brown, about a zero-based budget, I asked about a philosophical change. You talk about a process. When you talk about a process of a zero-based budget, one would assume that a zero-based budget would fund the needs of city departments, and then it would look at the non-departmental. So were all the city departments fully funded in a zero-based budget approach before getting to non-departmental? No, sir. And I can also say that not all the organizations that made a request for funding were recommended as well. But again, these meet, these many of the entities within the recommendations meet the priorities that were stated in terms of housing and human services, education, and arts and culture. Lenore Reed, DCAO, Finance and Administration. Just like to add one point in regards to the non-departmental budget. With that um, in mind, we also have risk management and IT uh, charges and non-departmental. So not all of those uh, non-departmental charges are going to community agencies, uh, most of which are a lot of a large portion of the increase, just as risk management and others, uh, you'll see an increase uh, in those as well, which is fully in support of our departmental budgets. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Okay, and, and I'm going to press us. Um, if we have so far, and I, I'm clear about the discussion and desire to have discussion about process and the philosophical basis, but we're trying to get to budget specifics here and any questions thereof. So I'd like to press us in focusing in that regard. That's perfectly fine. I appreciate the guidance. Um, as it relates to some of the economic development incentives, <clears throat> you had mentioned that the Philip Morris, this is the last year for the $1.25 million for Philip Morris. Um, <clears throat> what is the last year for the Mead West VACO grant that is in this budget? 2020? 2020. Okay. Um, and then the RPAC, uh, $500,000 that's here, I recall that the agreement with RPAC was after a number of years that the city's contribution would uh, go down to 250 and that RPAC would continue to fund at the 500 level, but the city's contribution here is still at 500000 Can somebody explain to me that? I'm not aware of that, but I can certainly look into that for you, Councilman Agilasta. Because at this point, center stage has been open for a decade, um, and yet there's still this $500,000 allotment. And from what I see, the Culture Works grant monies are going up also by 100000 
Um, we're giving the ballet another 100000 So many of the organizations that would otherwise benefit from the center stage funding are also now getting <clears throat> excuse me, significant increases in their budgets, the symphony, et cetera. So uh, it doesn't make sense to me <clears throat> why we would take a concentrated model of giving all the money into one group, and now we're fragmenting it again, and I'm trying to better understand that. So if you could report back sure. on the RPAC uh, sure, <clears throat> certainly. allotment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, when it comes to the city needs and what's in the non-departmental and what's not included, I'm going to lob my uh, opposition to the cuts in funding for um, the senior and disabled tax relief program. I, I frankly, I don't see that as being a wise um, reduction in funding. And I think it was even a week ago that I brought up that other localities have increased the threshold, have increased the net asset threshold, have increased the income threshold for their seniors and disabled to uh, remain in their homes. And, and as we talk about uh, rapid changes in home values, as we talk about people being priced out of their homes, um, I do fear that uh, many of our seniors are going to find a fate that they don't know how to address uh, in, in having to find their new housing. And I had even mentioned to Ms. Reed about reevaluating that. I'd prefer not to cut it um, at this stage. I would prefer that the staff come back to us and report what options we have to possibly even expand that program versus cutting it. I also have a hard time seeing us give more monies out to other nonprofits uh, and to other um, businesses and see a cut in RRHA property maintenance. When you see a reduction in property maintenance funds that the city council was appropriating to RRHA, and we know the crises that we hear constantly from RRHA, it, it gives me pause to know that that's being proposed. So, um, Mr. Mr. Adelesto, let me get clear. Um, because what you're indicating Tell me where you're going with this, because these are not specific acts. The administration has submitted their budget with the cuts, the increases, except tell me where. Are you just indicating your desire well, I, to ha I, tell me where we're going? And thank you, Dr. Newbill, but I, I think it is one of those of, in order to understand a budget, we have to understand what the administration's priorities are. Right. I haven't been able to obtain a very clear understanding of their priorities for the non-departmental budget. So is that what you're asking and in these regards? I'm just trying to get to the question so we can make sure we get the information and we're all looking for. I would agree. Um, and it would be perhaps the process that has to be transformed so that we can better understand why these are being recommended. Because from my standpoint, where they're cutting aren't good places to cut, and where they're adding is being balanced by places that they're cutting. And I have to consider what they have added in light of what they have cut. And, and I'm just, uh, I guess, advocating my colleagues that perhaps those cuts are not appropriate and um, would encourage you all to, uh, in addition to that, ask the questions. And I do think we have a number of, of the, the nonprofit partners here, and I think that Ms. Trammell's points are well taken, and we should be able to get an answer to 
the increase of $700,000 for the Richmond Behavioral Health Authority and how that money will be spent. $700,000 is a significant increase from the city's uh, contribution, and I know that we have representatives there, and I think it would be appropriate for us to be able to get answers to that or the $600,000 increase in the Richmond Ambulance Authority. These are substantial dollars that are higher than year-over-year increases to even city departments, and I think it would be appropriate and since they're here spending their time, I hope that the, the chairwoman would, would grant them the opportunity to explain their yeah. grant requests. Okay, so any other comment from yourself relative to budget-specific items in non-departmental? Mr. Atulesto, nothing else? I have nothing else, but if we okay. can hear from some of these. I will. And what I'd like to do is I had two questions. Councilwoman Robertson's hand was up and Councilwoman Trammell, and then I'll come back to um, those particular agencies that are present where questions were asked. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, good morning to everyone. Um, There's no one there. I, 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 can't, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Uh, I guess I was expecting someone to be there to address whatever questions that I may have. Um, the, the questions, I think, as it relates to the non-departmental, uh, there have been significant um, changes as it relates to reappropriations of monies and so forth. Um, and I do think that it's important that we understand what's the outcomes and the return on our investments have been with many of the grants that we have made. And perhaps we need to think through a process of how we get that information. Um, as it relates to the funding for the from the meal tax that was referenced that would be ultimately placed in a special account for schools? Yes, ma'am. Are there any other in discussion as it relates to that uh, special account? Um, there have been discussions as it relates to certain other information that we would need in order to begin the process of expenditures from that special account, uh, such as a Clear clarity as it relates to what schools are going to be built, in what order they're going to be built, uh, more detailed information as it relates to that, the request as it relates to whether or not schools are going to consider rezoning or closing schools and those kind of things. Are there any additional provisions that are being made pushed put forward by the administration? as it relates to the administration of the special fund? Well, I think that the first step was um, to jointly work together to make sure that the funding is there and that it's transparent. The reason I'm asking is because um, uh, the community has made it very clear to us that they do not want these funds to be spent on anything else, and they also have made it very clear to us that we are very much aware of how they're being spent, where they're being spent, and those kinds of things. 
And so my question is whether or not there is a necessity for tax amendments or something else to be attached to this budget before final adoption just to make sure that we are putting the restraints and the oversight in, in, in place as a part of the budget document. Madam Vice President, Selena Cafiglin, CAO for the administration. Uh, certainly a very good question. What the mayor has presented in his budget uh, is based upon the compliance with the legislation that council uh, executed. Of course, as you know, the mayor proposes a budget. It is up to council, your prerogative, to make whatever changes you may, which could include tax amendments or any other kind of direction as it relates to the CIP. Uh, but what you have before you is what the mayor has proposed, just following the legislation that was adopted by city council regarding the 1.5% increase in the meals tax and the creation of the special fund so that these dollars are protected. Certainly, it's council's prerogative to make any other changes as it relates to the budget that you currently have, uh, as it relates to tax amendments or any other directions that may be required as it relates to the expenditure of the funds. So we would certainly have to abdicate to council's direction as it relates to further instructions. Thank you, Ms. Carfield-Glenn. And I just want to say if tax amendment is necessary, council, we can certainly put that in. But Councilwoman Larson and Angelesto have a paper coming forward that will speak to reporting. Do you want to just briefly? Um, I, I can't remember if it's on the agenda for tonight. And it's been amended with input from the city, but it has to do with a lot of what you're talking about in terms of the reporting for the meals tax money and ensuring that it goes in a specific place and that that um, fund is that we are updated on how much is in the fund. And this is specifically to the special account in relationship to the meals tax for schools? Yes. This paper that you're speaking of? Correct. Yep. And, and Councilwoman Robertson, I hear your additional text amendment may be necessary consistent with other comments you made about additional work that will be done preparatory to any decisioning about what uh, is built first, second, third, et cetera. So, okay. Uh, anything um, else? Then, uh, Madam Chair, I would appreciate if we could get, um, I think this, this is a window of opportunity as it relates to tying the use of the money directly into the budget document. Um, and I appreciate the fact that there's an ordinance that perhaps will address all of those needs and concerns, um, I would be more than willing to re-examine the ordinance that, that is before us, uh, that's coming before us, as well as ask that um, the ordinance that came before us from the mayor that we actually adopted the uh, execution of the meals tax and what parameters may have been indicated in that ordinance, which I don't have before us, uh, inclusive in the ordinance and if not, if there is some need that we get some recommendation back from our staff, if there are any gaps that we need to consider as far as the tax, tax amendment in relationship to that. Okay. Um, thank you very much. Absolutely. One other question I have um, that's not related to the meals tax um, is to go back and follow up as it relates to some of the economic development grants that we've put out there. 
When we've given these grants, we've always indicated that we expect certain uh, return on our investments from employment and other criteria that we've set in uh, these grants. And not that I expect to get those answers to those questions at the present time, but I would like for us to uh, get back from the administration some process by which maybe we are following those grants to ensure that the return on the investment expectations, even if, Madam Chair, uh, Mr. Chair, that whether or not it's going through committee processes or whatever, I do think that, you know, we need to monitor those returns on investment. Because what happens is something will pop up in the paper and it's like, you know, we've, we're promised different things, but they don't deliver. And so it would be good for us to uh, Mrs. Robertson, that. is that for all that's reflected in the budget? Yes. What those deliverables, milestones, return of yes. investments are? Yes. All right. I think that's it, Madam Chair. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, you Mr. Robertson. Ms. Trammell. Um, I want to um, say something to Vice President. I'm sorry. I cannot hear I would you. Say I want to say something to the Vice President. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Cynthia. Um, allowing me to speak but what I was trying to say earlier that you know this is the taxpayers money and what we're trying to do is just I know that we're asking all these questions from the administration but it's like we've raised the meal tax and you know a lot of citizens are still upset about that and when they're hearing this and they've seen different things in the paper they're asking you know how come you gave as Ellen said earlier to and, and Parker, how, how are you giving so much more money to nonprofits, to this organization, that when we need more money for schools? And I know that this council this year has said that we want to make sure that public works and code enforcement has their money too. So I know that Jay said earlier that the non-departments went up like 30, 30 million more dollars, 30 million. Is that correct, Jay? That is correct from 17 to FY18 because of the internal service, the general fund contribution to the internal service funds and so, FY18 and it's carried forward in 19 and 20. So that's why I was asking all those questions so that I can justify as to why, you know, that, that we're given or that I've asked him for more information for some of the questions that I asked because, you know, that's, I don't know, it's just... I know it's the mayor's budget, I understand that, but still, this council has to vote on the budget, and we got to have all the answers that we need, and it's still disheartening to know that I asked for something last week that I'm not able to get, and I'll speak about that at 6 o'clock tonight when I have Alan, who can help me um, explain why I am not able to get, or why we're not able to get that information from the working papers that I asked for last week, mm -hmm. but thank you. Ms. Trammell, I just wanted to, uh, wanted to clarify. I, wasn't, I thought the questions were good and important because they have been asked of us, and we do need to provide the information. I was just trying to make sure we got the list of items that you wanted information on so that could be recorded and we can get the information back to you and to all of us. So I wasn't suggesting that it was not that, that you shouldn't ask. Actually, we should ask. Uh, so... I'm sorry if that was a misunderstanding there. I just wanted to make sure we got the full list because I didn't think staff would necessarily have had an opportunity um, to uh, 
compile all the information because they didn't get it in advance. That was I it. I understand. Yeah. Thank you. Pardon me here. I just wanted to, did we, did we get an understanding as to the time frame of when we were to receive the information that Ms. Trammell had requested? Right. Okay. Okay. Yes, Ms. Gray. Thank you, Madam Vice President. Ms. Gray. So, in just looking at and hearing about the thirty million dollar increase from seventeen to eighteen, and then an additional thirteen million in nineteen, and we've got a lot of these grants that are falling off the book. So we're really looking at increasing other areas even more than that if these grants are falling off the book. So I, I'm really curious to know, with, even within those internal service funds, where that increase is going because the net increase I know is that, but we've got a lot of things that are come, those grants that are coming off the book, the $1.25 million for... Altria, we've got stone that will be falling off, I think, by 2020. I could be incorrect in that, but. Yes, Councilwoman Gray, if I understand your question, um, yes, the internal service funds, again, are funds that. Um, are used to account for um, goods and services on a cost reimbursement basis. Um, the recommendation was approved in FY18, um, the first of its, the first in many years, to where the general fund will now be making a single contribution to those two internal service funds, one for IT, one for risk management. Those costs have not significantly changed from 18 to 19. In fact, um, as I indicated earlier in the presentation, um, from 18 to 19. IT is going down slightly and from 19 to 20 is going up. Risk management, which I'll talk about in a little while, is only going up by the general fund contribution for risk management is only going up by less than $192,000. But again, these are the required costs that the general fund pays for those services um, as internal service funds. Other funds are making contributions as well. And that is the reason why the non-departmental budget went up in FY18 compared to FY17 as a whole. But you understand what I'm, my question is around some of these economic development grants are falling off the book, and I don't really see where the savings are being found in that. And, and is, is that internal service fund able to carry balances from year to year, or is it just... Well, FY18 is the first year in numerous years in which um, they were set up as internal service funds, so we will have to determine that at the end of F, well, really probably at the end of FY18. Um, only risk management had a very, very slight budget for budget for a reserve fund in FY18, which is not recommended in FY19 and 20, which I'll and talk about later. And what, what will happen if we see a significant amount of funds remaining in those For instance, if IT were to continue to carry large balances, like they're potentially making 
a profit off of the operation? If I may, the internal service funds are not designed to make profits. They are supposed to balance out. But in the, in the event that they do um, generate more revenues than expenditures, again, their revenues are supposed to match their expenditures. So they're not supposed to have a profit, a profit for lack of better words. So what's the plan if that doesn't happen, if they don't balance out? Uh, if that doesn't happen, then I, my assumption is that that would fall to the fund balance for those internal service funds, specific to those internal service funds. And what are the rules around those fund balances? Are we able to reappropriate those funds, or do they just stay in those internal service funds indefinitely until the administration decides to do something? Well, just like any fund balance, uh, the mayor can decide if he or she would want to appropriate that. And again, I want to reiterate, there is no fund balance that I'm aware of for those funds. But if that is the case, the mayor and or city council can make a decision to appropriate from that. But again, that should be for those internal service funds. Okay. So with that, I just would like to see a breakdown of where the increases are coming from. The increases? The projected increases moving forward. I know a big chunk of that is the meals tax for... It's... I'm sorry. But there's still at least six or seven million that I don't know where that is coming from. The high levels should be on this sheet that was submitted on Friday. The high level changes, increases as well as decreases. So we could Let's see here. Let me make a comment here as Mr. Uh, okay. Brown. So we can go. I'm sorry, Ms. Gray here. Did you? No, she's there. Okay. I think what, what uh, I think that we all understand that internal service funds are to be used for the purpose for which they were originally intended. Correct. However, I believe that it does give some members pause when all the money that was allocated for a particular um, program has not been spent. Um, similarly to, I think, the school system. So while we could reappropriate this money for an internal service fund for the purpose, I said, for which it was originally intended, I think there are some questions as to why all that money wasn't spent or if there is, as Ms. Gray indicated, an overage uh, where we're going to make that up. And is that... If I may, um, Mr. President, um, this is yeah. the first year of the internal service fund, so we are we don't have any knowledge as of today what we're going to spend 
total for the general fund. We'll be working on our third quarter projections. Um, so well, I just want to make sure like, right. that I'm clear that um, I'm not saying that they have a balance that can be used, but the funding in the general fund as well as the funding for the other funds mm -hmm. that will be used to fund the internal service funds must be used for the internal service funds. And you will see in this budget a $10 million contribution up from $9.8 million from 18 to 19 for the general fund's contribution to the risk management internal service fund. We'll see about a 19 and 19.67 million dollar contribution from the general fund for the information technology internal service fund. Okay, I believe there were a number of internal service funds created last year. It's my uh, only two. My okay. Yes, sir. Respectfully, if I may. I'm sorry. All right. Only two. Okay. Certainly. Uh, a number of uh, resources that were in the original budget, I believe the numbers of those two were somewhat um, significant, but uh, we'll let that move on here. I don't want to divert from where we were. Uh, let's see. So, Ms. Gray, are you, are you yeah. good? Yeah, I was just, I'm not suggesting that there is. I just want to know what the plan is, if there is, because we funded IT with a significant increase. I think it was over 20% over what they had in 17, if I recall. So, and I know that we're, we are behind on a lot of the upgrades and things that we need. I'm just trying to get my mind around what happens if those funds begin to generate a a balance. Lenore Reed, DCAO, Finance and Administration. And that, that's a very, very good point. Uh, probably not on the budget side, but more on the financial reporting side uh, for internal service funds. Um, I do not like to see growing balances in internal service funds either because basically the reason you have the internal service fund is to cover the cost. Uh, for providing those services to the other governmental departments. And so this is the first year in which we have risk management and IT as internal service funds. And there's a possibility that there may be some uh, a balance left or there's a possibility that we may come back and request additional funding to cover those costs uh, for departments. But at no time do we like to carry a large balance in internal service funds. Now, in risk management, I'd like to add, we'd like to carry a little reserve uh, in risk management, and that's common practice uh, for other localities as well. But for, for IT specifically, we like to cover the cost and look at the cost uh, for the future years if there's funding that's left. But in no way do we want to reserve a fund balance that's growing in an internal service fund. And as far as IT, all the um, website fees, I know the website went down this weekend and folks were directed to GoDaddy. Has that been resolved? Uh, yes, ma'am, covered. And we do apologize um, for that, uh, but it has been corrected. Okay, thank you. Any other questions, comments? Yes, Mr. Agilasto? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Madam Vice President. Thank you. Uh, immediately uh, prior to your joining us, uh, there were some questions both from Mr. Agilasto and Ms. Trammell 
relative to some of the non-departmental agencies, and there are a couple of them here, and uh, there was a request to allow them to speak briefly, briefly to uh, the inquiry in terms of what the additional funding that has been allocated would be utilized for. And so there were a couple that was were raised. The uh, Richmond Behavioral Health Authority, Dr. Lindstrom's here. Um, we have RAA. I think those were at least two that were questions were raised. And so if you would allow them the, just to briefly speak to what the funding would uh, be utilized for. And Dr. Lindstrom, if he could be first up. Absolutely. And Mr. Agilesto, were there other, these are the two organizations for which you wanted additional information? These were the largest increases, so, and I saw the representatives here, that's why I thought it would be appropriate. Absolutely. Yes. John Lindstrom with the uh, Richmond Behavioral Health Authority. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, boy, it's hard to answer your question in just a few words, but I'll try to. Um, we actually put in a funding request uh, through this um, more, much more intense um, non-departmental funding request process uh, for uh, actually around $1.3 million increase uh, in the first year and nearly $2 million, about $1.7 million in the second year. Um, and that's to reflect um, growing population demands, growing demands for services, Clearly, the opioid epidemic, for example, just in the last 16 or 18 months, RBHA has served, has gone from serving 1,200 individuals with substance use disorders to 1,600 individuals. Um, that, and that brings about significant costs. Uh, like any other business, nonprofit or for profit, uh, or city agency, our uh, fixed costs continue to uh, increase. Um, we have higher licensing fees. We have higher personnel costs. We have more challenges in meeting the administrative demands of managed care and increased state reporting requirements and the like. Uh, to, to, um, to leave that, though, for a second, we actually attached our new funding request to four specific purposes, uh, three of which I believe are, are included in this um, those three relate to increasing our capacity to provide emergency care, care coordination, and substance use treatment uh, for addictions. Um, th the fourth area that we requested funds in was to request funds to uh, help us uh, maintain competitive in the market in terms of maintaining workforce, uh, to provide some assistance toward cost of living increases of our growing workforce. RBHA now is an employer of over 600 individuals. Our, our, our biweekly payroll is at a million dollars, and we are serving uh, well over 12,000 individuals per year. So in a nutshell, uh, the part of our funding request that the mayor did include in his budget um, specifically address service capacity increases uh, to meet need uh, based on our own experience at the front door. Uh, daily or rather weekly, we have between 250 and 300 individuals seeking services either to be readmitted for care or for care uh, for the first time. That's an incredible uh, amount of, of, of work. Um, we are able to take, uh, we have been taking the $2.695 million that the city has provided for the last several years 
and have leveraged those dollars to bring almost $48 million in service value to the city uh, with, over, with around $20 million in Medicaid funds, around $15 million in state funds, and so on and so forth. So I think if you look at return on investment, RBHA uh, brings a very large value to the city. If I can answer a specific question, I would be glad to do so. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Agilis, I do want to remind everyone that we were at 40 minutes allocated to this item. We're now at the 62nd minute, uh, so we're going to have to ask other organizations to to uh, brief, uh, to shorten their time so that we can end this session at noon. Mr. Agilisto. Thank you. Um, so, so two things, if you could, Dr. Lindstrom, um, it looks like Medicaid is going to probably be expanded in Virginia. We'd like to know what that impact on your budget looks like um, once you have more clarity. Uh, I know it's, it's nebulous at the moment, but um, that is important, and I think that that's going to have an impact. And then just to clarify, you had mentioned that much of this funding that is coming would be to augment uh, cost of living adjustments for your No, person. actually, that part of our funding request was denied. Okay. Uh, we had ac actually asked for uh, an increase uh, over the, by the end of the second year of the biennium, our funding level would have grown to around $4 million from the city or $1.3 million higher than our current amount. Um, the mayor, though, um, did indicate that he wanted to help and not, but he could not uh, meet all of those needs, so he actually at attached um, his funding to services rather than helping to sustain our ongoing operations. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other uh, I, questions? Just quickly, though, I need to. We no, need I'm a larger sorry. conversation about Medicaid because the, we do not have a clue yet what that expansion is going to do uh, for us. Um, and there's also in the proposal. Uh, a take back of general funds. So that may actually put us at greater risk on a, for fee-for-service and ultimately value-based purchasing. So it muddies the waters at this point for us. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Robertson. Uh, Dr. Lindstrom, question. I think. Just one brief question, and I'd like to uh, get that, uh, this answer for others as well in the, in the budget. Um, we are increasing our workforce uh, by 1% this year, salaries, salary increase of 1%. Um, if there are other departments that are not non-departmental uh, service providers that are providing salary increases, uh, performance increases for, for the employees, what that percentage is would be helpful to know as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, any other questions on this one? Uh, the Ambulance Authority. Good morning, everyone. Chip Decker, CEO, Richmond Ambulance Authority. Um, I try and be brief. The, uh, the Ambulance Authority was created in 19... 1991, the city chose to outsource this part of its uh, public safety because uh, areas of the city were not being served, being underserved, and and uh, and quite frankly, response times were too long. Um, back then, it was known that because of the payer mix, 
that uh, the city was, the Amazon Authority was not going to be self-sufficient and could not be. Uh, so, um, and many of the challenges that Dr. Lindstrom mentioned are also challenges for the Amazon Authority. More than half of my uh, payers, if you will, half the folks that we transport are, are Medicare, Medicaid. And the next largest is about 20%, just under 20%, don't have anything at all. With healthcare changing, um, and that being uh, charging for service, being uh, by far the largest part of our revenue, um, the, uh, the challenges are immense. For example, um, currently the city subsidy covers about uh, 28 percent of my budget. I'm a 24 million dollar a year business. The rest of it needs to come from uh, billing for service. And uh, as health care plans change, uh, especially these high deductible plans, I believe the city has one of those, um, that puts the, uh, you know, the insured paying the first bit. And so that is also helping to drive up, I guess, our private pay. So um, and in years past, the call volume was increasing. Whenever your business is increasing, even though it is not necessarily good, you know, because that means more people are hurt or sick in the city, but it does allow for um, certain advantages with funding. Over the last couple of years, the uh, call volume, especially the 911 call volume, has been flat. So, it's, and that was uh, back in the day one of the uh, um, things that these focus groups wanted to have was, you know, we considered that if call volume would stop increasing, maybe we have a healthier, a healthier city. So. What we do at the Ambulance Authority, we look at the cost of providing the service, everything from capital expenditures, and then um, we figure out, all right, what do we need at the end of the day? What I would really like to have is three months of, of uh, expenses in the bank. Each month then is about $2 million. Um, I actually asked for $1.2 million from the uh, city as a subsidy. Our subsidy hasn't grown. In fact, it's dropped over the last uh, you know, number of years. So with uh, people not being able to pay for the service and with uh, the payment for the service that we provide, either static or, or going down because of how the health care uh, plans are changing, it literally just costs more to provide the service. City Council was, was very generous to our other public safety partners and uh, with their career development and... Uh, and increases and put us at a bit of a disadvantage. So this budget also, um, uh, my budget also attempts to bring us a little bit back on par with that. So um, the way my budget is set now, um, what the mayor's budget recommended was a little under $600,000, which is a little less than half than what I re requested, but it made it a nice even $5 million subsidy. So we do you know, appreciate that. However, moving forward, you know, you know, I go upside down. I'm, I'm scheduled at, at the end of uh, next year to, and to have less than a half a million dollars in the bank. 
not the $6 million, you know, that, that most EMS systems use because that's about the time frame, about three months. If Medicare makes a change, you know, for them to come back online and start paying us again. So yeah, there are challenges out there, you know, for running an EMS system. Uh, it, now, we're in non-departmental, and so I would imagine we're a good chunk of non-departmental, uh, you know, and I would, I would venture to guess that most localities don't have parts of their public safety in non-departmental, and so maybe that's why, uh, you know, non-departmental is, is so big. But yes, I, you know, I can handle, I can get by with the increase as, as uh, the mayor's budget has in it, but I'm going to end up being back again, you know, once uh, next year, unless, of course, Medicaid expands a whole lot. So I'll take any questions that, uh, that you have. Mr. Jones? I, I just had one thought. If someone from administration could speak to this or I know if Jay or Ms. Lenora could. That, 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 so just that, throwing that out, Mr. President. Okay, great. Uh, Ms. Reed or someone from the administration want to address this increase? Yes, sir, Councilman Jones, Bob, make sure I understand your question of the increase for the ambulance authority. Sure, sure. Well, the increase is primarily for the ambulance authority. Um, as Mr. Decker has indicated, they are realizing some decreases in the amount of revenue that they are receiving from their payers. Uh, some people either can't afford to pay or are not paying, and this will help subsidize those costs for them as, re as relates to the um, reduction in anticipated revenue that they are going to get in to operate. Yes, Ms. Robertson. So I just want to be clear. Uh, is, the, is it due to Medicare not paying, or is this a fee that's charged directly to the consumer that are not paying? The, uh, it's, it's kind of across the board. Basically, we had been enjo enjoying a, a, uh, a rate of about 48%. So for, for every bill I sent out, I got a 48% return on, on that, uh, that amount of money. Now our collection rate is down into the low 40s. And so we're just not collecting as much across the board. And as the, folk, as, as the number of people who just don't have anything continues to rise, we still need to provide the service. Another big uh, challenge for us has been uh, special events. We used to go to gatherings, if you will, and provide an ambulance. Now, these days and times, what is required is a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes, whether it's a march, whether it's a protest, you know, even whether it's an inauguration. And, and the, uh, the effort that goes into keeping the city safe from all potential issues that might occur. It's not just that somebody may fall down in a, in a race. It's that somebody may intend to make people fall down in a race. And so, and so even the, as, as the climate that we live in today is changing, the planning and the resources we have to, uh, you know, give to those special events because there's, all, there's something going on in this city every weekend, if not every day. 
it, and, uh, and so we, we have to be uh, available. And a lot of those things, you know, the protests and the marches and, and whatnot, you know, that's just on us. Yes, uh, Ms. Trammell and then Ms. Gray. Thank you, Mr. President. Chip, I want to thank you for all your hard work and, and thank you for all that you do. I think the reason why I, I'll speak for myself that I'm questioning this because I want to make sure that you have what you need because I know that in, um, in 2016 you were 5250000 and then you went down, down, and now it's up to $5 But it's like with all the things that you just spoke about, I mean, it, it seems like we need to put more into your organization because of all the things that you do. And when you call 911, the first person that responds most of the time is the Richmond Ambulance Authority. Yeah. So to me, I just think that I, I think you need more money. I don't think this is enough. <laughs> and we don't know what Medicare and all that's going to do. We don't know how much more, you know, you could be affected in the next 12 months. And, and and yes, I mean over over the course of the years, we've been asked, you know, if if we can, you know, take less of a subsidy to fund this initiative and, and whatnot. And yeah, when when my volume was growing, you know, and and when my payer mix was different, and when my collection rate was better, then you know we had those opportunities. You know, I'm I'm not going upside down with what I've asked for. I, I asked for twice that, you know, just so it, that I would be, if something did come up, I wouldn't have to come back and say, okay, I need some more money right away. But, you know, as I said, what, what I, I should, running a good business, have four to six million dollars in the bank at the end of the year. And that's for capital, that's for unforeseen things, because I don't get all of my revenue from the city. My revenue is not guaranteed. 75% or near 75% isn't. It's what people pay me. And so, yes, it, 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 it is a challenge. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're, I mean, the city outsourced this part of public safety, and now I'm in non-departmental. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, we have the funds to provide the service that the citizens and you all expect us to provide. All right, thank you. Yes, Ms. Gray. So um, I know there have been some changes in the amount of calls and the type of calls. Do you, um, are you seeing a lot of repeat customers from opioid overdoses? And I know um, a lot of individuals who have mental health challenges typically will call multiple times and um, and if they're not covered by insurance, are there other agencies or um, service providers who could assist in reducing those calls and those numbers? Um, yes, ma'am. We do have uh, quite a few loyal customers, and we, we do work with uh, our partners, say, at, at Behavioral Health Authority, to address their their problems long term, because I'm not a, a long term problem fixer. We're 
basically getting somebody that is it's in a, a bad location and can't receive the services, you know, off the street and taking them to some place that can. So yes, we do, we work with uh, behavioral health, we work with adult protective, we work with child protective, you know, because, you know, I realize that, you know, we're not the, the, the there's some things, especially mental health, that we can't fix. I mean, I can bandage a wound, but, you know, there's some things. But, yes, we, so we partner very closely with the health district and, and our other, other partners to, to get to the solution, to get to the solution. So, yes. Thank you. Um, we are approaching doubling our time that was allocated for this, so I'm going to have to ask that other departments uh, try and be more efficient. Mr. Decker, I want to thank you for your service. Uh, it has uh, provided a lot for our city, and uh, it has touched me this year, and I know that you and your staff do an excellent job. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so we, we do support the mayor's budget. I'm sorry I wasn't as efficient as we are out on the street talking to you guys. But Yes, if you were I, as efficient with that, uh, right. If, if the funding was as efficient as the organization, you'd be, and we'd all be a lot safer. So thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, uh, let's see. We're going to go back to the assessor. Uh, and, again, we want to keep in mind that we have to uh, get that 40 minutes back if we're going to adjourn at noon. So uh, the questions that can be asked offline, I would ask that they do so. I appreciate that everyone wants to inform uh, and cast some light on on all of these issues before the public, but we, but we have to be mindful of, of the time if we're going to make it out of here by noon. Mr. McKeithen. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Great. Good morning, members Great. of the Hope council. You are. <clears throat> okay. Good morning, everyone. I'm Richard McKeithen, the city assessor. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me this morning. I'm here to present my proposed FY19, FY20 budget for the assessment office. Uh, before I get started, I'd like to introduce a couple of key members of my staff that may have to come up and speak. Um, you guys know Mel Bloomfield uh, sitting in the back. He's a deputy assessor. also have Jennifer Cannon, who actually prepares my budget, uh, works very closely with Lauren Kirk from the budget office, does a great job. And Matthew Shockley, who's my IT person, he may... Um, facilitates our camera system, make sure that our values get out, get out accurately and get out on time. <clears throat> As you know, the assessment office is primarily responsible for the valuation of all real property throughout the city on an annual basis in a fair and equitable manner. Additionally, we also determine what the taxable status is of any particular parcel here in the city of Richmond. And last but not least, we are the facilitators of the tax abatement rehab program, a program which is now um, obtaining applications of over 400 a year and um, have revenues in excess of $20 million a year. Uh, you can see from the screen that my FY19 uh, budget 
uh, increases approximately $29,524, more than my FY18. <clears throat> what I have, you can also see from the screen that um, I had requested a um, hundred and, let's see. Uh, $121,000 uh, additionally for my FY19 budget, and this was to primarily um, hire additional appraisers. We currently have uh, approximately $106,000 already in the budget that I can, I'm told from my budget analysts, I have $106,000 I can carry over or use for FY19, and I would like to do um, to add additional appraisers, that's my most immediate need in the office. Um, as far as staffing is concerned, I need appraisers to actually go out <clears throat> and inspect parcels and get our productivity um, where I would like it to be and possibly obtain more revenue for the city. Um, other than that, you can uh, see what uh, I, only, I only have a small change for FY19, as far as actual um, items, I would like to get CoStar, which is an application that will allow us to get lease information and market rents and things like that for our office building market, which is expanding. My FY20 budget is primarily um, an increase of about $800,000 for a new camera system. Um, a camera system is a computer-assisted mass appraisal system. That's the system in which we actually use to um, generate values. The current system that we have is um, getting to the point where it's going to no longer be supported by the actual vendor. And once that happens, if you have an issue with your particular system, the actual vendor will not support you as far as doing any fixes to it or any maintenance to it, and that could be very detrimental to the city. Um, that 800000 is an estimate. Um, we are now in the process of um, looking at vendors, inquiring with vendors, and in order to do that, they like to actually come and give you a demonstration and things like that, and I have to check out with the procurement department what I can legally do and not do as far as that's concerned, but the $800,000 could increase based on what the actual vendors come to the city in Richmond here and tell me once they give me a demonstration. So having said that, I will um, take any questions that you have. Yes, uh, Ms. Gray. So um, I'm glad to see the... Um, that you're exploring updated software um, because I get a lot of emails, calls around properties that have sold and there's a quite a significant lag between when the property sells and when it's reassessed and there's a big gap between the actual sales price and what we are assessing those properties at. Are you um, believing this software will help close that gap a little bit so that we can start to see those revenue increases at a faster rate? Sure, that's a great question. It's a couple things that go along with that. It's, first of all, first and foremost, the market is running at a very um, intense pace right now, especially here in the city of Richmond. 
Um, so with the market running the way that it is, with added personnel, that goes a long way in helping me to close that gap. Um, and then you also have to consider uh, when you see a property sale and you see an assessment, we may have levied that assessment months prior to that actual sale price. And so right now our assessments aren't effective until January 1, but we give out assessment notices in June because we have to coordinate with the billing process. But I do anticipate with a new camera system and additional personnel and a market that gets to be a little bit more um, moderate, we can close that gap, certainly. Yes, uh, anyone else? Uh, Ms. Larson and then Vice President Newbill. Thank you for your presentation. Um, I think the last time you presented to us, you talked about doing a report on the, an evaluation on the tax abatement program. And I'm just wondering if there's anything in your budget um, to support that evaluation or if you're working that out of this year's budget um, and kind of where things are. Sure. <clears throat> if you recall, I brought to council that we need to have an intense study done of the abatement program, the rehab program. It's um, generating $20 million a year in revenue that is not um, being collected because it's on the abatement program. Um, <clears throat> I actually had contracted with a vendor, a group up at VCU. We um, actually had a contract drawn up. Um, the total contract was $52,000. They wanted three installment, three payments. Um, installment payments, and I actually had the first installment, which was going to be $15,000 in my budget. Nevertheless, I didn't have the balance, and so I worked with um, <clears throat> the group to actually see, as well as the um, budget office, Mr. Brown, um, most recently informed me that um, they're working on a process to get me the balance for the, um, I think it's about $36,000, um, put into my budget, and I would be able to carry that over into FY19. Nevertheless, I haven't, oh, okay, he just gave me the thumbs up to tell, tell him that I'm good. So I'm going to take him on his word that I'll have the $36,000 um, very soon. In 18, I'll have the $36,000 to actually go ahead and sign the contract and get started. Um, so it should be taken care of um, very shortly. As soon as I can actually do that, then they're ready to actually start. Okay, so we don't need to put any money in the fiscal year, Mr. according Brown is, to Mr. Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown is saying no, and you guys okay. all see him. So we'll, we'll see a budget transfer for that? Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right, great. Thank you. Okay, uh, Thank you. Right. Mr. Brown indicated a positive response to that uh, $18,000 or $36,000. I'm sorry. Uh, lest anyone miss that, that was on the record. Mr. Uh, Addison and then Ms. Trammell. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, my question is in regards to your staff request with your new, um, I think you said they are assessors. Um, they're doing, I guess, looking at 
our assessments citywide, is that correct? Or are they going after certain pieces specifically? When they look at everything, we look at everything as much as we can every year um, by law. Sure. And um, have you been understaffed? Has the office been understaffed for a while in this capacity? Are these positions that have been unfunded but on the table for a while? Yes. In my opinion, um, the office has been understaffed, um, been understaffed for um, a period of time. I know that um, it's not... As far as assessment standards are concerned, you could look at our numbers and say that we are fully staffed and staffed appropriately. But when you look at what the rehab program demands are and things like that, um, it causes us to be um, a lot more inefficient than we possibly could be. Thank you. And so are these positions going to shore that up? Are there specific areas in which these, these th- there's three, correct? Are going these to be three addressed? will start the process. Um, I'm estimating, and we'll see, um, I may have to come back to you, depending on how the market runs, um, you know, how strong it continues to run, or if it starts to, um, you know, tank down a little bit. Um, If not, I may have to come back to you guys and ask you um, for additional. But right now, these three will go a long way in, in solving that. Are there revenues associated with their abilities to increase potential assessments or capturing of revenue due to this work that you're either behind lagging and doing or et cetera? Well, I estimate that just in permit work and supplemental work, each uh, appraiser, um, as far as actual revenue, cash, uh, could equate at least $200,000. Now, that doesn't even speak to um, reassessment work. If you look at the increase that we've had over, for example, for example last year we had a three and a half percent increase um, prediction uh, this time this time last year. Um, but from land book to land book, from January to January, if you look what look at what each appraiser can actually um, represent as far as bringing in, it's a, it's over seven hundred thousand dollars. It could be. And that's in the market that we're having right now. If the market continues to ramp up and, for example, um, we get to a point where there may be actual double-digit percentage increases, it could be over a million dollars per appraiser. So right now, once again, that's easily about 700,000. Um, and that includes permits work, supplemental work, reassessment work. Um, that's not to say that each appraiser every year, once again, this is a prediction based on how the market's running and what's going on here in the city of Richmond. Um, but, yeah, there's a revenue um, piece that's tied to that that um, could, could mean more revenue for the city if you allow us to have more appraisers. And let me get this point across as well. When we hire um, new appraisers, it's not always the ones that we bring in that allow us to actually get revenue from them. It's what we're able to do in the office as far as other personnel having flexibility to make changes with people in areas that are really hot to have more people in those areas versus just having one person in that particular area. Um, a good example of this is that I have um, right now one person doing multifamily property. It's 1,200 parcels. I'm able to get the bigger 
um, parcels as far as um, units are concerned, but I want to pay more attention to the smaller unit multifamily properties. And so um, this will allow me to do that because one of these positions is a commercial appraiser. So That was my next question was, were these three appraisers going to be focused residentially or commercial? It seems like you mentioned. One is definitely going to commercial right away um, because I need another person in the multifamily and I would also try to have them um, sectored off to do some of the office building stuff as well. Okay. And with your staffing um, change proposal, how, how do we compare with like, the counties or other cities in the state of Virginia for an office of your size? I know it's been dependent on number of parcels and things sure, you have to manage, sure. but I just wanted to know. Per parcel, we are <clears throat> right there with everyone else, if not better. But we are the largest facilitator of the rehab program. Nobody else in the state has as many rehabs as we do. We are now, I think, somewhere around 8,000, if I'm not correct. And um, when we have the rehab audit, they're going to do a comparison to other local jurisdictions. And you'll see by far um, they may have 100 tops, or some of them may have like 50 and we have 8,000. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Vice President Newbill. I think Parker was next. I was, but I think you had your hand up. I only have a couple questions. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Parker. Um, Andreas just asked the questions that I was going to ask you. Thank you for answering us. No, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the good job that you're doing. I was going to ask you, with all the new development in the city, like the biggest development I've got going on right now is the phase three in Adams Park with all the new homes coming up. Yes. That's why I was going to make sure you had enough people on your staff. Yes, that's exactly why I'm asking for these additional positions. I mean, we do a great job. My staff does a great job at making do with what we have. But in this particular market, you want to make sure you have everything you need because having everything you need could possibly bring in more revenue for the city. Um, and I'll be quite honest with you. When you compare what we do to the counties and the workload and things like that, we, I think we more than dwarf um, productivity-wise because, once again, they don't have a rehab program like ours. They don't have as much development, I think, per parcel as we do. So... Um, quite frankly, I need these positions to, to, you know, stop overworking the staff, so to speak, so I can retain them. Okay. Um, that can be a problem. And then you said there was over 8,000 rehabs in the city. Sure. Can we get, like, a listing maybe where, I, you know, where they are or most of them are taking place? Yeah, I can tell you most of them are going to be along the corridor of um, the Fan Museum District, um, they're going to be in um, the Churchill area. Um, it's a lot less on the far south side. I know. But, um, yeah, it's, it's mainly in those, Manchester, all the areas that are hot are going to be the areas where you have, um, the north side is really obtaining a lot, is where you're going to have a lot of the rehabs. Because the rehab program um, works, you have to uh, increase the value of your property by a certain amount in order to even qualify. And so um, areas that um, with a housing is extremely lucrative, they are very well endowed in a rehab program. Okay. And um, I noticed that 
Your office supplies and stationery and postal services went down a lot. Is that going to have effect in your office? Is that? Well, office stationery. It says office supplies and stationery and postal services went down. No one page. We'll have to find out exactly what may have happened there. Looks like from 43 to 25 for office supplies and stationery. Then it looks like postal service from 41 to 29. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see exactly what happened. All right, thank you. Thanks. Thank you, uh, Vice President. Oh, I'm sorry. Mr. Agilasto and then Vice President uh, Newbill. And then Ms. Robertson. Thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. McKeithen. Um, just to be clear on the numbers, so <clears throat> your department, in order to get the additional appraisers that you're requesting, would yes. need exactly how much funding? For what, what I have before you now, it would need $121,194 because I already have $106,806 that uh, my budget analyst tells me will I can carry over into FY19 for um, positions. Okay, for vacancy funding. Yes. Um, and it, and your estimate is if those three positions <clears throat> were in fact funded, that there would be um, roughly, what, $750,000 of new revenue? Well, <clears throat> if those positions were funded based on what's going on in the market now, um, each of those positions would bring in at least um, 200000 in permit work and things like that. They may bring in a total of 700000 each based on what the market is doing and based on the increase that we had from <coughs> last year's land book to this year's land book. But a good example is, for example, um, if we ran and please don't quote me on this, but if we ran, uh, and Jay don't get happy, but if we ran a 7% increase overall um, versus what we ran last year, then each appraiser position would go up as far as what could possibly be done. Now, <clears throat> when I say um, reassessment, some of that may be captured anyway just in what we're doing, but a lot of it may be um, captured just in having additional personnel to look at things more closely, to actually have another person doing um, multifamily property that are 30 units or below and things like that, um, to be able to close the gap, as Ms. Gray was saying, on a lot of the actual assessments versus the sale prices. Okay, so um, if, if council were to then increase your budget to cover the additional personnel, um, I would assume that we would need some revenue certification to come out of the administration, and I would uh, ask that, that you all work together to determine what that amount is, um, but it's my expectation to, to provide you with the staffing levels that you need, the three additional um, positions. Uh, it seems to me a very good investment um, to spend this money to uh, recover additional revenues, and I will say that in that uh, commercial multifamily unit in that smaller category, as you mentioned, we've got a lot of those that are now on the market in the 5th District, and when you see what they 
have listed them for versus their assessed value. I mean, one in Randolph is assessed at $540,000, and it's listed for $1.2 million. When you That's sent me a, that article. It's a huge <laughs> When gap. you sent me that article, um, I already had suspected there was a gap. There were gaps in those particular use types. But um, after I really got into it to see um, how active the larger unit properties, the 100 units or more or the 80 units or more, how active they were, a lot of our time is donated to that, and I really would like to just have one uh, individual to cover those smaller units and close that gap. That's a lot of revenue that we could possibly well, get. Another in one gap. in Carytown assessed for seven hundred thousand dollars on the market for one point seven million. Yeah. So I appreciate that, and and you'll expect to um, see a budget amendment to increase uh, for the three additional positions. And I'd ask that you work with the administration to certify revenues. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. President? Yes. Uh, Thank you. First of all, uh, Madam Vice President, uh, Ms. Gray, have you spoke uh, on this one before? Then uh, Ms. Robertson, then Ms. Gray. And we're at 22 minutes. We had 30 minutes uh, allotted for this subject. Madam Vice President. Thank you, and I'll be brief. Thank you, Mr. McGeeson. Um, just a quick question for you. Um, I certainly hear that uh, the need for the uh, three positions uh, my question is relative to your pro revenue projections after having the three persons on board and based on our performance from last year. Um, we I just want to make sure we're getting new construction and supplement and that our projection from last year um, wasn't unduly conservative, but it was more conservative than what the actual outcome was. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get some sense of whether or not you anticipate uh, a um, more robust revenue projection that can go on and be certified. Because last year we were a little low in the projection and, in fact, did a lot better. So I'm just trying to get why it is that we wouldn't at least hit that mark? Um, let me say, first of all, um, it's extremely hard to predict what an end outcome will be because typically the way this is done, um, the assessor will give the numbers to city council administration after they're finished. But here in the city of Richmond, we're sort of doing it, um, putting a cart before the horse a little bit, and that you're asking for the projections and things like that before the assessor is actually finished. So what any, any prudent assessor is not going to want to do is to give you a projection that's higher than what he actually comes out at, and then you're really mad at him, and, you know, um, he really looks doesn't look as wise as possible. So I understand if someone gave you a projection that appeared to be lower than what the final outcome was because no one actually knows. You're, we're asking for something now for next January, and who knows in the current situation, um, real estate and everything is going. Having said that, um, I had initially given a projection um, to Mr. Brown of 5%, 5 to 5.5%, but I from land book to land book, I can easily see that we could add another half percent to that, so it could be 6%. Now, having said that, um, if 
you could call me back in, let's say, two weeks. Two weeks, I could give you an even better projection because so we'll be me, closer. I'm a little excited here, so let me just be clear. Yeah. We went from five and a half to six, and there's a possibility and there's that a if possibility. we call you back, when exactly? If you call me back in two weeks, okay. you know, I, we'll see. I, that, that works for me. Okay. Thank you. All right. Great. Uh, Ms. Robertson and then Ms. Gray, uh, provided that nobody else that hasn't <laughs> spoken, uh, All right. we'll go back to Ms. Gray. Ms. Robertson. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, thank you for the presentation. I want to follow up back up on the on the projection of revenue uh, based on the assessments that uh, we're using in this FY budget year. Mm-hmm. Um, those numbers are due to uh, your land book values that were received as of or what, what are you basing those projections on, I guess? Is sure. I'm basing those projections on what the actual land book was as of January 1 of any particularly of 18, well, of 17 to the land book value as of January 1 of 18. So that entire year, um, that actual uh, increase wound up being, I believe, um, over 5%. Um, the initial point in time where the person was here this time last year, I think they gave you maybe 3% and it wound up being 35 or they may have given you 35 but at the end of the day, you're looking at it from January 1 of one year to January 1 of the following year. Okay, so just to be clear, um, the budget, the projected revenue that we're using in this FY budget year is based on land book values as of January 18th. Now, I'm not going to speak for what, reven- what revenue they're using and, you know, how they get I'm, to. I'm only speaking on but what. For my, yeah, yeah, for what I'm talking about right. is from January to January. January to January as of January 18th this year. Right, 17 versus 18. Okay. Um, Is there a projection uh, from your perspective of revenue that you anticipate based on increase in assessors um, over the next six months that you will see? Are you projecting that you the results of your increased staffing will yield a higher number of assessments done, which means that you will have a higher land value projection. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm saying if, if current trends continue, there's a possibility that that revenue could be as much, including supplemental and permit work, could be as much as $700,000 um, foot per each um, actual appraiser. Um, it could be higher than that if the market runs stronger at this time next year than it is right now. So, um, or if you know something happens nationally in the country and the country just um, goes down, then it could be lower. It depends on 
all things projected based on what the trend has been over the last year or two. Okay, one other question. Um, we know that the market is heating up a lot. Um, in Holland Park, for example, properties that were assessed at one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars are now selling for three hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that in older neighborhoods like that, where the market is really, in my opinion, overheating right now? Um, are you also seeing a significant increase in rehab abatement applications from those same areas uh, like in Highland Park and Barton Heights? Sure. The north, <clears throat> the north side period has an, um, an increase in rehab abatement applications versus what it did five, ten years ago. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm talking in the last year too, because the values are increasing from, you know, an average of a $200,000, mm-hmm. $150,000, $200,000 home to $350,000. Um, mm-hmm. That's a huge increase in sale values. Sure. Um, are you, how, how well staffed are you to accommodate those areas that are really heating up, and will this increase in staff address that? And then I'm also concerned that Whereas we having a lot of heated increase in sales and values of sales, whether or not the assessment values um, is impacted because they're also applying for the abatement. Okay. I can get you numbers on what uh, rehab applications are in Highland Park over the last year. Um, these positions will allow me some flexibility to get possibly more people in the hotter areas, the Highland Parks, the um, East End, the, you know, Fan, you name it. Wherever things are hot and continue to be hot, it'll give me the flexibility to, to um, pay even more attention to those particular areas, Manchester, um, you name it, it'll, it'll give me the flexibility to pay more attention to those areas. Um, whether or not the actual increase in values are being sort of um, calibrated by the rehab program, I think that's something that the people can study um, when we had a study done. Um, and once I give you the numbers on the um, new applications or the actual properties that are receiving a rehab credit. That'll tell a lot of the story. Um, I don't want to speak prematurely without having the facts before me. So let me get you that, and then we can talk about what's what going on. What percentage of the parcels are you getting to to do the uh, reassessment values on an annual basis at the present time, and how much you expect that to be increased with additional staff? Well, I like to say we get around to all of them, but it's how much time can we focus on any particular area versus another, and that's the problem. Um, I would like to dedicate a maximum amount of time to every area, Um, not just hot areas, but areas that are existing. I think what I'm asking is, are we 
reassessing all parcels or 85% of parcels on an annual basis? We reassess all of them. All of them. All of them. But um, there are different ways of reassessing, and without going into too much detail, um, and I would like to ensure that um, every neighborhood citywide every year is getting same amount of attention regardless of the metrics um, on an annual basis. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Robertson. I think Mr. Wack wanted to make a comment, then Ms. Gray, and we are at 33, 34 minutes here for a 30-minute presentation, and we were over 40 minutes on the other one. So just a reminder, and possibly future presentations uh, could help us along with that. Mr. Wack. Yes, sir. Um, John Wack, Director of Finance. Just wanted to make a quick point of clarification. The uh, 20... Fiscal year 2019 proposed revenue budget is based on uh, total taxable values provided by the assessor's office on December 1st. Uh, we did check back in, in in late February prior to the introduction of the mayor's proposed budget, and we still have, have those are, are based on that amount. And I asked again uh, la last week of Mr. McKeithen, but what I'm hearing today is in, in maybe two weeks we'd be a little more comfortable uh, providing what, what the total taxable value might be, uh, maybe with additional staffing, and, and then we could uh, I could work with the mayor to certify, potentially certify additional revenue for 2019. Thank you, Mr. Black. Sounds like uh, welcome news. Uh, Ms. Gray. So two kind of quick questions. Um, if um, philosophically, we've stated that a value in this budget is affordable housing, um, and it seems to be a disconnect. We are trying to create more affordable housing, and we aren't keeping people in their homes and keeping them affordable. And the budget contemplates a 10% cut in the um, tax relief for elderly and disabled, and I've turned... To, I've sent many people there, and they have just missed the cut for income, but they aren't making enough to stay in their homes with the land values increasing the way they are. Has, has there been any conversation around increasing those income limits and not um, cutting the program back to meet just the demands of people who qualify? Yeah, I think that um, you might want to ask Mike from the finance department about the tax relief for the elderly. Because um, as an assessor, I, I can't really get into what's affordable. I just have to go after the market value. I, I, got, I guess it's more of a right. um, uh, statement. Right. We are having something from the finance department. Maybe we could get yeah. an answer from them on that one. Yes, and, and I know um, this is a blend of economic. The second question I have, economic development. and um, But I know that when we were talking about the stone brewery, you um, had projected numbers and potential real estate tax revenue and how that whole deal worked out. Has anyone come back to you with re revised um, information about square footage and where that would possibly fall? Because if the building is going from 30,000 square feet to 12,000 square feet, I would assume that the the projections would be a lot different on what the real estate revenue would be. And if that's the case, 
I think it's relevant to our budget discussions and all the grants and things that are coming into play. Sure. Um, <clears throat> as the building changes, we're going to pick up additional square footage. We inquire as to what's going on with the property owner um, with the particular the building. So as the square footage increases, um, there's possibility that the assessment will increase. Now, once the assessment increases, I think economic development deals with what goes on with their So, And I think I'm talking about the inverse of that. This proposed deal tears down the intermediate terminal, and it's proposing to build, instead of a 30,000-square-foot facility, a 12,000-square-foot facility, which... If smaller. You have, um, much significantly smaller. So I'm just wondering, have you been engaged on any level to give any preliminary projections on what the loss and that projected revenue, what the difference might oh, be? No, not to my knowledge, not yet. Okay. Thank you. I think, Ms. Well, you want to talk about this? Okay. Good Thank morning. You. My name is Valerie Weatherless. I'm the Operations Manager and Finance Revenue Administration. I administer this tax relief program. So if you had any questions. My question was just around, I know that, I know that the $3 million that's been allocated, there's, you know, proposal in the non-departmental to decrease that. But have we, because I know anecdotally I've sent several people who just missed the income cut. They might be making $50,100, but, you know, they've recently lost a spouse and can no longer afford to stay in their homes. You know, I've had several instances where people have been turned away. Have we looked at potentially, because I don't think that that income limit has been increased in quite a while. I think the last time it was increased was probably four or five years ago. So we haven't looked at it since then. But our land values are, are going up at a significantly fast rate. So I'm wondering, have we looked at that as, a, as another tool in the affordable housing toolbox to keep people in those homes so that they can? Lenore Reed, DCAO Finance and Administration. That is a good question. Um, we have not looked at that. Um, and the reason we reduce uh, the amount that's in non-departmental because of the usage of that, and we have not reached the uh, budgeted capacity uh, in the last couple of years, but we definitely can review uh, specifications and qualifications for the program, and that will change um, individuals' uh, ability to qualify. And, I mean, I, I guess just the few that I've sent that have been turned away, I'm, I'm assuming that you have that happening in other areas of the city as well. That, that is correct. We do have individuals that are above our current income uh, levels for qualification. So if we were to revisit those qualifications in the future, then more individuals would qualify. So, I mean, that's, that would be my hope. Not, and maybe it's not a 10% reduction. Maybe it's still a reduction, but it's not quite as much if you're able to get to increase that limit and get more people qualified to be able to get those relief programs. That is definitely something that we can uh, visit, and we'd love to visit that and look at what our other localities are doing as well, what our neighboring localities, and make it uh, consistent with that. Is that something that can be done during this budget 
or is that something that's going to take longer? Um, it will probably take longer. However, at any time, the council, at the council's will, can come back and and make an amendment um, to that. Okay, great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Uh, we're, all right, we had a little run over there of ten minutes. Um, Let's see, we're looking at uh, the Department of Finance and Risk Management. 30 minutes. Is that it? I'm sorry. Oh, and Mr. McKeithen, thank you so much uh, for the work that you do and the uh, potential positive information that you gave us. We always appreciate that. Good morning. Uh, once again, I'm John Wack, the Director of Finance, and I uh, just wanted to give a high-level overview of the fiscal year 2019 proposed budget. Um, the Finance Department is, is, is very pleased with the investment the, the Mayor is making in this proposed budget uh, with, with the additional personnel that will allow us to continue our uh, emphasis on timely and accurate financial reporting uh, with the uh, submission of the fiscal year 2017 single audit report to the Federal Clearinghouse. We are current in our state and federal financial reporting for the first time in four years. Uh, we're also uh, looking forward to enhancing our revenue collections. We had a very successful tax amnesty program and have a number of initiatives that we'd like to put forward in fiscal year 2019. Um, the, the handout I, I provided uh, just uh, gives a highlight or a diagram showing the, the establishment of new cost centers in fiscal year 2019. Uh, in order to increase our accountability and transparency, we are essentially doubling the number of programs in the finances, in finances general fund budget from 6 to 12, uh, essentially splitting uh, financial management to establish a new uh, separate program for the DCO for finance and administration, splitting out information systems from general accounting, and also establishing a standalone budget for each of the seven revenue managers in revenue administration. Again, at, at a high level, you can see that the personnel budget is increasing in 2019 uh, with the funding of additional positions. Uh, the, the operating budget is decreasing by about $116,000. Um, so at, at a high level, the major changes shown in the spreadsheet, uh, salaries are increasing by a th about 304000 in 19 compared to the prior year. Uh, I, would, I would note that this, uh, the additional personnel funding does have a return on investment. When, when we were preparing the, the proposed budget in, in relation to the five-year forecast, finance department was asked to, to come up with some revenue enhancements, and we were able to accomplish that by providing $3.25 million more in general fund revenue in 2019 compared to the five-year forecast under the assumption that, that all of our positions are funded. Uh, if we go to the next page. Or does this go? Oh, sorry. Um, the next line is, is really just the summation of, of the fringe benefit costs tied, tied to those salaries. 
They're increasing about 323,000 in 19 compared to the prior year, with a slight decrease in 20. Um, as far as the operating budget, there are essentially four line items that, that explain the change in our, in our budget. Uh, we increased the um, professional services for rapids enhancements by 55,000 in fiscal year 2019, and we're also providing about a $900,000 increase in 20 for the replacement of the MUNIS system, and that is tied to a $3.1 million amount in the fiscal year 2020 capital improvement program. We're also increasing uh, just only in 19, one-time 100,000 increase in financial investment management services. That's for our financial advisors as well as bond council working on our downtown redevelopment project as well as the, the borrowing plan that will be tied to that $150 million in new and renovated school facilities. On the decrease side, we're decreasing management services by about $153,000 in 19 compared to the current year. We're also uh, reducing uh, con contractual and temporary personnel services by 100, about $152,000, uh, and that is tied to our emphasis on, um, on relying on full-time personnel and decreasing uh, reliance on, on temporary services. So that, in, in a nutshell, is, is, are, are the major changes in, in 2019 compared to the current year. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. White. Mr. Addison. Thank you, Council President. Um, thank you for your quick synopsis of your budget. Uh, the question we have is, last year we talked about munis and the need for technology improvements to your office operations. And I'm just wondering, what's the um, timeline potentially for looking at, do we have the RFP this? Are we going to be looking at a procuring a, a contractor to help support this implementation? Or are there other means in which we can do this upgrade? Because I just want to make sure that we're not looking at this being done in 2021 based upon it being funded in 2020? Uh, yes. It, it, once we, we are confident that the, the funding has been secured in the 2020 budget, the $3.1 million would be tied to a, an RFP for, for the software itself. Um, when we previously, um, also, uh, about a couple of years, the finance department did, did uh, do some procurement work related to the replacement of MUNIS, and there was uh, an, an implementation cost uh, in, in the $900,000 range. In, in my opinion, that, that we shouldn't do long-term borrowing related to the staff augmentation and implementation. So that's why we're really pairing that in, in, in the 2020 budget. Uh, but again, if next May the appropriation is made, we, we could start procurement activity in, in advance of the fiscal year. That also gives us more time to, to do, some, do some data cleanup now that we've had uh, been able to fill more of our positions in revenue administration, uh, improving the, the integrity of data within the units before we replace it. Good, because I know this is overdue and we've needed some improvement in this capacity. So just want to make sure that it's taken care of for the revenue administration part of our operations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Addison. Mr. Agilesto and then Ms. Trammell. Mr. Wack, thank you um, for reviewing your budget and um, noting the uh, additional cost centers that are being added. One, one area that I think um, I'd like a little bit more clarity on, and uh, bear with me if you don't mind, but it is uh, the additional FTEs that are being added. I know that the council had previously said, well, we're going to um, fully staff the department so that additional revenues could be received uh, primarily in the areas of um, tax enforcement and revenue administration, making sure that we had the ability to do some assessments and the ability to enhance our collection efforts. 
And my understanding is that uh, these three additional FTEs will generate more than $3 million of additional revenue? Uh, that, that's the sum total for, for having all, all of our, our positions funded uh, across, across uh, multiple tax types. Um, but, for example, uh, with, with the tax, additional efforts in tax enforcement, with additional efforts in our uh, business unit, uh, working on our non-filer reports, we do anticipate that, that there are significant revenues that can be generated once we um, are able to change our focus. Uh, historically, finance was only able to provide basic customer service. If we're able to do more business tax audits, if we're able to do more tax enforcement and, and, and work those non-filer reports, we do uh, anticipate significant revenues can be generated. Okay. Um, I appreciate that, and, and I'm going to dive into a specific area right now, if you don't mind, but uh, admissions tax. I know that had been something that um, we have had audits and uh, Office of Inspector General investigations looking into it, and it's my understanding that a significant amount of what was deemed as a um, assessment against a business on admissions tax was waived. How... How does that work into this scope for your department, and is that being addressed in this budget? Uh, the abatement, I believe you're referencing, was for prior years, and I don't know that would have any impact in, on the budget. But as, in terms of, of, of tax enforcement, uh, we, we do have um, budgeted some, some increases in admissions taxes as well, well as uh, lod, lodging and meals uh, moving forward. So specifically, uh, a major event in the 5th District that, uh, that I guess last fall the prior assessments had been waived. Uh, what are you budgeting for revenues coming from that event? Uh, we don't tend to budget specifically for a specific event. Are the, you calculating any revenues for, for that since you waived all the prior year tax obligations? There was an abatement of taxes that had not been collected in prior years that would not impact our budget. Okay. I guess what I'm trying to get to is at one point a statement was made that we had to change the city code in order to collect certain admissions taxes. I haven't seen that amendment presented yet from the administration, and therefore I'm trying to determine whether or not revenues are budgeted for those events. The finance department uh, in recent months has been working with the city attorney's office. Um, at one point, we were, we were requesting that the city, city code be changed. Uh, I, I believe the city attorney's office is, is, uh, would, would have, the city attorney would have a preference to, to really change our, our, our policies and procedures around admissions, lodging, and meals in order to uh, clarify that for, for all taxpayers in certain types of, types of events. Okay, so something is coming? Yes, sir. Okay, and therefore there will be a budgetary impact, or is that already included in the budget estimates? That, that should be included in the future year projections. Of course, if we collect more than what's budget, budgeted, that would, be, that would be a welcome change. Okay, so if council anticipates then amending our admissions tax policies, uh, we should be able to increase the revenue forecast since it would pick up additional events that are currently not paying a tax? That, that, that could impact the budget. Uh, taxpayer behavior could change if events are no longer held at certain events and, and moved outside of the city that would decrease. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other questions? Ms. Trammell and then Ms. Gray. Thank you. 
John, I see that on page 540 or section 5-40, it looks like in 2019 that um, delinquent taxes is decreasing, I guess collecting it. I'm sorry, on page 540 we were looking at, oh, the, uh-huh. the, the target for fiscal year 19 is, is less than fiscal year 18 target because we had the tax amnesty program, which did generate, I believe, over $1.4 million in real estate taxes as, as a one-time surge. Okay, and then on page um, 542, what is um, cash operation and... It says cash operation and revenue, because it looks like we didn't collect anything in 18, 19. Uh, these are expenditures. These are not revenues. Um, so if you, if, if you look at the, the handout that, that, I, that I passed out, we're, we're separating out uh, what formerly was cost center 2506 now has a separate budget for delinquent collections, for cash operations, and for the real estate unit. Okay. And then um, on page 543, this is, okay, I'm asking, what was the business license and, and assessments budget for? And if, okay, we got 222000 but it wasn't in 16, 17, 18 at the top. This would be a brand new cost center, new, new program beginning in fiscal year 2019, so there are no prior year expenses. So this is the brand new. I'm sorry, Lenore. Lenore Reed, DCAO Finance and Administration. Um, What we're trying to do in finance, just to make it very clear, we're trying to make it very transparent. And so where you see we had things lumped together under one cost center, we're trying to break it out and so that you can see specifically what what each area is doing as far as their expenditures and all, Um, just for transparency purposes. And so for those new cost centers that you see, they were at one time just lumped together in one cost center, and so now they're specific. So you have each unit within, let's just say, revenue and administration. So you have the cash collections unit, and then you'll see other units as well, just for transparency purposes. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, Ms. Gray. Um, for the rapid system improvements, the $3.1 million in capital and the 900000 in operating for the FY20, is that the end number? Are we going to continue to see these um, operating costs in the budget? I know we've had to engage with a lot of consultants to try to get that system in line. Are we going to continue to need to budget for those consultants, or are, are we going to get to a point where internally we're able to yeah. um, manage and I'll, it? And I'll, and I'll let uh, John respond as well, but very quickly, the 900000 you see, that's going to be for some uh, operating costs related to the uh, MUNIS uh, replacement system. Um, and so with that, that's going to be separate than our RAPIDS uh, enhancements. But yes, we will see continued uh, cost or expenditures within the budget uh, for RAPIDS, whether that be consultants coming in, helping us to clean up some of the things in the system, not re-implement, but um, create enhancements for the usage in the system or whether it's Oracle themselves and continuing to do the upgrades that, that we need. And so you'll see operational costs 
related to rapids and uh, for the munis replacement you'll see operating costs related to that as well so with respect to the rapids i know we've had a lot of catching up and it wasn't implemented properly or well or however you want to characterize it are we spending more than our counterparts and are we anticipated to continue to spend more? I don't believe we're spending more, and that's a question I've had with our counterparts as well for the different systems. I think we're spending it differently. I think uh, and it, had we had a great implementation of RAPID and done all the testing that we could have done, we probably would have spent more on the front end. I think we're spreading that cost out, um, not saying if we did a one-for-one comparison that we didn't spend more, but it's about the same. Uh, And I actually met with my counterparts at the different localities, um, some who've implemented an Oracle-based system, some who've implemented other systems, and they said one thing is common is that you will continue to have enhancements for a while um, after you implement that system. And probably in some cases, the city should have changed its practices around systems capabilities. And I think in some instances with RAPIDS, we tried to fit that circle into that square peg, and now we're trying to fix that. Okay, and um, my question with respect to um, the administrative administrative, um, proposed amendment to the code on admissions taxes, when should we expect to see something along that line? And If, if it is ultimately uh, implementation, working with the city attorney's office, not a change to city code, but rather uh, having a very detailed uh, policy and procedure to make it clear to all taxpayers and all venues, uh, that, that would not be coming to council. That would, that would be a new, new policy and procedure. And supported by and, and, the city attorney's office. In, in, in support of the, the city attorney's office. We have been working on that for so would there be a change in who owes taxes and how those taxes would be assessed? Yes. Prospectively, yes. We would, we would want the, the venues and, and, and the, the promoters and, and so forth to, to, to be, be aware um, that um, we're, we're enforcing in, in a consistent manner. And, and, and I guess for me, I guess the long and short of, and I have limited understanding of it, but a nonprofit venue that is leased to a for-profit promoter, that promoter would, in fact, owe admissions tax, or are we saying the interpretation is that they would not? There will be a, a, a number of uh, clarifications in, in the detailed policy and procedure. Um, that over the years, and if you go back and, and, and look at the previous uh, city auditor report, um, some of the venues felt that they shouldn't be collected, that it should be come from the promoters, so not, not just this nonprofit venue, but that um, we want to make sure that, that, that all the promoters are, are clear on, on when, when they need to, need to collect that tax. Um, so again, that, that will affect both venues as, as well as, as promoters. Uh, we also have had, um, we also want to clarify in the new policy and procedure, if, if a promoter ha- has a nonprofit managing the event, um, that the, the, the taxes would, would still apply. That, that's been another gray area that I, I think we need to clarify for all the venues and, and, and the taxpayers. Okay. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, questions? 
Seeing none, we'll move on to the the next presentation. Thank you. Risk management, and thank you, Mr. Wack. Mr. Brown. Oh, I'm moving ahead. Risk management is the next uh, presentation. And thank you, especially for Mr. Wack and uh, my fellow members for uh, beating the time expectation on that last one by 12 minutes, I believe. Much appreciated. And if I may, Mr. President, I want to breeze through this. The Jay Brown, Director of Budget and Strategic Planning, I'm going to give a brief presentation on the risk management budget. Um, this is the second year in which risk management will be an internal service fund. We talked about that earlier. Um, essentially, risk management is a fund that covers costs associated with claims to include workers' compensation, auto liability, general liability, and outside legal costs associated with the defensive claims. Um, also, commercial insurance. You'll see from the sheet that you have in front of you, in terms of the expenditure budget, um, the budget in FY19 and FY20 is slightly less than the budget in FY18, from 16.7 million in FY18 to 16.2 million in 19 and 20. The major changes, you will see that there is no longer a pr proposed appropriation um, to budget for the reserve for risk management. Um, there is a reduction in the settlement and claims line item, particularly for the fire and extended coverage. Um, and then you see a minor increase for transparency purposes in the line item for the line of duty death claims and for the line of duty health benefits for qualified dependents. Um, these costs were previously categorized within the claims and settlements line item. In terms of the revenue budget or the funds that will support the expenditures for risk management, you see that the largest contributors are the general fund and the Department of Public Utilities with an appropriation of $10 million for the general fund and $5.3 million for the Department of Public Utilities. They represent a slight increase in the general fund contribution compared to 18, and a slight decrease, well, a little bit more of a decrease for the Department of Public Utilities. And the reason for that is that the risk management budget um, for the contributions is based on the most recent um, history for claims for each of the funds that make a contribution into risk management. Um, consequently, um, there were higher claims for utilities, but the most recent three-year average, those costs have come down. In other words, they have not had as much high cost claims. However, for the general fund, the reason why the general fund's contribution has increased by a little over $191,000 is because we have seen some slight increases in our claims in the most recent three years. And that is the reason why you will see a slight increase from $9.8 million to $10 million for the general fund contribution to risk management and a decrease of about 600000 from 18 to 19 for the Department of Public Utilities contribution to the risk management fund. And I'm here to answer any questions. We have staff available as well. Any, uh, any questions? Any questions? Ms. Gray. Is there a percentage or a recommended reserve for the risk management special fund? Like a best practice number? Well, it's an internal service fund, if I may, um, Councilwoman Gray. But I'll have um, Mr. Keith Our Barron. internal service. I get those. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting that. For the internal service fund, is there a recommended no. reserve? No. no. But your intention is to have some reserves for that fund? There is not a recommended 
percentage, if you call in the FY18 budget, there's a very small amount that was recommended to be um, appropriated to a reserve fund. There is no recommendation in 19 and 20 to contribute to a risk management reserve fund. But, so earlier, mm -hmm. there was some statement about needing a reserve for unforeseen right. things. Mm -hmm. How much of a reserve, you know, is standard? That's the, I mean, is there a... My name is Keith Barron. I'm the Chief of Risk Management for the city. Um, what I had proposed last year was an introduction of a $500,000 reserve uh, with the intent of accumulating that in some over years to somewhere between three and five million. Um, I was asked to exclude that. Uh, and in the past, we've had two situations in just the last six or seven years where we've called upon council to provide funds from the rate stabilization fund to meet uh, some high dollar claims for police FLSA and DSS FLSA claims. Um, I was hoping to build a reserve in risk management to avoid having to come to you for those funds in the future. Um, if that's not the wish of the council or the mayor, then I'm willing to, to work with what we have. At Lenore Reed, DCAO Finance and Administration. I made that comment earlier in regards to any additional uh, funding or resources that we had at the end of the year may could be contributed to that. Um, one of the things uh, I think the risk manager is trying to to say is that if there was three to five million and we're not asking for the three to five million now because we are totally 100% in support of the mayor's budget and what we proposed to council. However, it was the first year in which we had the internal service fund. So if there are any additional resources, we may use that or ask council if we could utilize that for a reserve and then um, because we, what we don't want to do is to grow a fund balance in an internal service fund, but would like to have a, a small reserve that we could grow to a, a specific level. And so, therefore, it reduces the risk of having to go to the revenue stabilization. But we know that's what it's there for, and if we need to, we'll come back to council. Okay. Any uh, further questions? Seeing none, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, the Department of Human Resources, 30 minutes. You have 30 minutes left for the entire, uh, uh, until noon approximately. So uh, if we could, uh, and we have um, an hour and 10 minutes of presentations not including the amendment increase proposals. So that's, we're pushing that down. Okay, great. All righty. All yes. right. Thank Jones. you. Thank you. Carita Jones, Department of Human Resources. Good morning, everyone. I'm here today to present the budget for my department. Before I jump right into the review, I want to point out just a couple of facts about human resources that tend to be forgotten. The first is without HR, there is no workforce. Every employee in the city went through a recruitment process administered and overseen by us. HR is the only department here in the city that not only touches every employee and elected official, 
but also their dependents, the people they care about the most, and our retirees. We do not take that lightly, and the services we provide are needed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because life does not just happen between eight and five. Not to sound like a commercial, but when life happens, HR tends to be there. We ensure employees and you all have the resources that you need not only to survive, but to thrive. We take pride in our work and the services we provide. And most importantly, we love and care about the employees and the retirees of this organization. Our budget is pretty simple as it is mostly made up of costs associated with personnel. Other than that, it is a reflection of the mostly mandated and compliance-driven services that we provide. Our major changes for FY19 are related to personnel, pre-employment testing, and our learning management system, which is Wavelength. For personnel, we received an increase of 419000 for salaries and for vacancies and the cost associated with them, which would be health care and retirement. The main difference also for HR um, between FY18 and 19 is due to the medical expenses and medical services. Such services include pre-employment drug and alcohol testing and the Department of Transportation random testing. The last major change for us is related to our learning management system, which is Wavelength. The full funding provided returned us to our original funding, returned us to our original funding, which will allow HR and the city as a whole to continue to provide regulatory, safety, and policy compliance training. When the funding was cut in years past, HR had to make do by reducing the number of course offerings we had, building in-house training, which is not always easy to do, and to contract with outside trainers. That concludes the high-level um, review of HR's budget. We are beyond grateful for the level of funding we've been provided in the FY19 budget, and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you all have. Thank you, Ms. Jones. Questions? Mr. Agilasto. Thank you. And this, this is a general question for the city's um, health care program. I think that there were, and I don't know if this was already addressed and resolved, but was there a discrepancy between how much the city said we were going to be covering for increases to employee health care plans and what the projected savings might be? I know in prior years that... Um, had ended up in some surplus uh, dollars from changes in forecasts. I'm not certain about that. I actually have to get, I can work with budget to get that information um, to you. Um, every year when we release our premium um, rates for employees, um, if those costs um, do increase, if the employees do participate in the online health assessment, um, they this actually will be the sixth year in a row we have not, um, I mean, we have covered the cost of that increase. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like moving forward, but I can work with the budget department to provide you with any additional, with the answers to that question and any other additional information you need. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. Any further questions, Ms. Robertson? Uh, thank you, Ms. Jones. In in the non-departmental, there are monies that are appropriated for uh, the recent study that has been done as it relates to 
Is there a projection of out years as to how much funding will be needed in order for us to continue that process of addressing the results of the study? Um, yes, we do have, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head what that, what that is. We do have um, different, several phases that would be set up to carry us in the out years. The second phase for the study, if I may recall, is with the possibility of moving employees to the midpoint um, or as close to the midpoint as possible um, based on like their experience in the job class. To do that is very costly. Um, so we would, have be able, we would have to actually work with the administration to see if that's somewhere that we would want to go for the future. The more immediate need is to adjust our ranges, our minimums and maximums, and to make sure that employees are brought up to those minimums and to adjust our living wage accordingly. So is there a plan to do a projection of what that would cost in out years if we were to increase to that minimum raise? And, and we will be getting a report on what that cost is projected to be in out years? If I may, Councilwoman Robinson, um, yes, I think that we will be looking into that to see what the implications would be to, to the city. And once we do that, uh, I'm sure that we will bring that to City Council. Okay, thank you. All right. Any further questions? Uh, Ms. Gray and then Ms. Trammell. So if the majority of your increase is personnel cost, how many positions are you increasing with the 300 and 32,000? Well, right now we have quite a few vacancies. Um, the additional funding will allow me to fill some of those vacancies in 19. As it stands right now, I'm the only permanent leadership in the department. Um, we do have some vacancies for deputies, division chiefs, some consultants, and I believe an executive assistant too. But the additional funding will allow me to fill some of those vacancies. So how many of those vacancies... What are unfunded that, I mean, I assume some of them that those permanent spots are still being funded. How many are you trying to fund that the funding had gone away at some point? I would like to have to fill at fill three of those positions as soon as FY19 occurs. Unfunded positions. Um. Ms. Jones has approximately $564,000 to fill up to 11 positions. And as the director, she will, like any director, will make um, the decision in terms of which positions she would like to fill. When you say has, you mean in the proposed? Well, excuse me. Yes. That is recommended in this proposed budget that will hopefully stay where it is. Okay. And prior to that, she only had 200 in 50,000 and then there was a reduction of the 44. I'm just looking at the $330,000 increase. It, if I may, um, Councilwoman Gray in 18, um, HR was only allotted $77,000 for vacant positions and they had 11 vacancies at the, at the time and no funding in 17. And so this is a substantial increase that is proposed that will allow the HR director as she sees fit to fill the most suitable positions for her office. Okay. And I know that 
there was a trend and there was money pulled back for vacancies that went that were funded that went extended periods of time without being filled so that historically those the money was moved to do other to accomplish other goals because if you're not filling those positions and we give you the money then it stands to reason that you don't really need it. If you have the money and you have the position and you don't fill it, the thought pattern was you don't need it. So that money went away. Now you're saying you do actually need the money and the positions and you want to fund them. That is correct. We do, we do need um, pretty much every bit of funding that we're asking for. And of the 11, do you have an idea of which ones you make the priority for what's being funded? You don't have to answer me right now. I, just I do. would like I do. an idea of maybe via email or okay. at some point what positions and what, what functions are needed. I can certainly get that to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Right, Ms. Trammell. In Section 5, page 53, there's a large increase in HR management, administration support services, and training development. Um, the majority of the, the increases, it's that um, should be that increase at 400 and some odd thousand for personnel. It's actually, al some of it is allocated across the cost centers. Um, for training and development, the increase is our wavelength um, system, which is our learning management system. We're actually launching a, um, a new platform in about two weeks for that system. Okay. And then um, one other question. A significant budget increase in, of, let me see, 17 and 19 to compare to 18. I'm sorry, I didn't catch. It looks like it's it's like more money that you're spending in um, 2019. Then is that because of the employees that you're getting ready to hire? It's, yes, ma'am. That is due to the vacancies that we have that we intend, I intend to fill. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Any further questions, Ms. Robertson? Just one follow-up. Uh, you, you mentioned, Ms. Jones, about the uh, budget increase as it relates to uh, pre-drug testing and other types of screening. Um, there have been several uh, comments made by folk in the industry or just departments in themselves as it relates to the time that's associated with the city's requirement as it relates to those types of testing and pre-screening for employment. And my question is whether or not our policies um, are different from the industry or others, and if so, the, how those differences may be contributing to time and costs that you are experiencing in your department that may need to be relooked at, at least based on the fact of the costs that's associated with it. I don't have that information right now, but I'd be happy to look at that. Um, and come back with um, or send it via email a response. We certainly can look at that. All right, thank you.
Any uh, further questions? All right. Thank you, Ms. Jones. Thank you. Uh, all right. We've got approximately 17 minutes. Uh, we can either push the procurement back to 1 o'clock or we can uh, try and get that one done in the Department of Citizen Services in response. Performance Management Office, we only allocated 10 minutes for that one. So um, what's the pleasure of the group here? Go ahead and try and do procurement. Uh, yes. Uh, okay, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, Department of Procurement, and hopefully we can get this done in half the time we were allocated. No pressure. Thank you. Good morning, honorable members morning. of City Council. I think you'll be pleased that my presentation is very brief. Um, my name is Betty Burrell. I'm the Director of Procurement Services, and I thank you for the opportunity to present an overview of our budget. The Department of Procurement Services supports all city departments and agencies, including public safety and public works, and we are providing services in helping them purchase the goods and services they need in order to provide services to the residents and businesses in the city. The proposed budget for procurement services largely funds personnel costs. Staffing the department at the mayor's level of proposed level of funding is important in order to comply with Commonwealth of Virginia and City of Richmond laws, rules, regulations, and policies, and in order to procure the goods and services necessary to operate the city in a more timely fashion. Additionally, there's about $26,190 in the software account, and that is to purchase the services of a consultant, and that is to leverage our financial systems capabilities in order to create more, create more operational efficiencies, not just for procurement, for all of the agencies we support. This concludes my comments. Are there any questions? Thank you very much. Questions? All right. Ms. Trammell. I have one. Budget is in, okay on page um, 5 or section 573. It says budget is increasing by 50%. And can you tell me why? Could you clarify your question, please? Wait a minute. I've got someone to help me. Those are personnel-related costs. Lenore Reed, DCAO Finance and Administration. Just to give a little bit of background in regards to procurement services, I know Ms. Burrell, this is her first year uh, at the city uh, doing the budget for procurement. But last year, within the budget, there was not enough funding to fund all of the positions within procurement. There was some miscommunication in regards to um, the communication from the budget, uh, from between budget and procurement. and public utilities and so therefore there was probably only 
half of the positions that got funded within that budget. Uh, but you can't run a city without uh, personnel for procurement because they, too, touch everyone within the city. All the goods and services uh, come through procurement for uh, for purchases for the city. And so, therefore, we wanted to make sure that the funding was there in this current budget for FY19. Procurement has struggled through FY18, and as most departments are well aware, with the service delivery that they can provide. And I'm sure some of you here on council have heard the complaint in regards to that, but it's directly related to the personnel dollars uh, within the budget. And so we want to make sure that um, that we get those dollars, and the mayor is in full support of that, and we support the proposal here, and we're asking that you keep those dollars in for procurement. And then one more question. How come um, health, health costs is going up more than 100%? It's on page 75. Uh, health costs is directly related to the personnel dollars uh, that you see within the budget. And so you'll see not only the personnel dollars, you'll see health-related costs associated with it as, lo- as well as the benefits that come along. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Any uh any further questions? Looks like none. Uh, we'll go to the Department of Citizen Services in response. Performance Management Office. We have 10 minutes allocated for this. We have 11 minutes left. Mr. President, good morning. Bob Steidel, DCO of Operations. Just briefly, I wanted to let you know that the decoupling of 311 as well as uh, is uh, implementing best practices for 311 has been in uh, development since 2016 in the DCO of operations team, and uh, that's where it will be until uh, July 1st. And Mr. Mark McLean is going to fill you in on the details of the department. Good morning, uh, Council President Hilbert and Madam Vice President uh, Newbill and members of Council. My name is Mark McLean. I'm Customer Service Administrator for the Department of Public Utilities, and I'm here to speak about Mayor LaVar M. Stoney's proposal to enact the Department of Citizen Service and Response. The Mayor proposes the Department of Citizen Service and Response to be a standalone department reporting to the Chief Administrative Officer in support of the Mayor's mission to create one Richmond by following municipal best practices. The One Richmond mission improves service and service delivery to citizens while increasing citizen satisfaction with core city services. The VCU performance review noted the need for the city to have this focus. A review of peer municipalities with populations similar to Richmond and who provide and deliver high-quality services found 60% of the municipalities centralized accountability and responsibility into a, for improving citizen interaction with municipal services into a separate department reporting to the highest administrative authority allowed by the municipal form of government. These municipalities align 311 operations under this department. A separate department of citizen service and response organized under and reporting directly to the Office of the Chief Administrative Officer, provides a centralized, top-down approach for providing high-quality citizen services to the citizens of Richmond. 
The CAO sets the strategic vision and level of service it expects to deliver to citizens. This approach ensures alignment of agency-specific programs with the city's vision for creating, developing, and consistently delivering high-quality citizen services. It eliminates silos between citizen intake channels, such as call centers, social media, and the Internet, and those agencies fulfilling the citizen's request. It drives organizational use of performance data analytics to develop a proactive approach for responding to citizen issues and concerns before they become major problems or policy issues. Additionally, 70% of the peer group decouple their utility and non-utility call centers, operating them separately and independently, including separate phone numbers for each line of business. The drivers of the decision to decouple are the technical and regulatory complexity found in utility operations, the lack of interoperability between a utility call center agent and a non-utility call center agent, funding differences between enterprise funds and general funds, and the need to develop and implement branding strategies specific to the core mission and service for each line of business. The functions of the Department of Citizen Service and Response proposed by the mayor are, one, developing, staffing, coordinating the implementation of, and overseeing all non-utility citizen service and response for citizens requesting non-emergency information or service from the city's departments other than the Department of Public Utilities. Two, developing, implementing, and administering measures and reports detailing the nature of citizen information and service requests, including responses provided by city departments fulfilling citizen requests for information and services other than the Department of Public Utilities. Three, gathering and analyzing citizen information and service request data to identify service trends and service delivery improvement opportunities for the city so that city services are proactive in meeting citizens' needs. Four, evaluating and implementing technologies that enhance the city's interaction with citizens requesting services or information from the city. Five, measuring, analyzing, and reporting on citizen satisfaction with city services. And six, overseeing and operating the city's 311 utility call center. Hopefully this information provides you an overview of the mayor's proposal for the Department of Citizen Service and Response. Thank you for the opportunity to present this information. And please let me know if I can further assist you with questions or other information. Thank you. Council members, are there questions? Ms. Larson. Thank you for the presentation. A um, couple questions. In the budget, there's a property rental agreement for the, for the yes. department. Where? Yes, what that is is space allocation for the location of the 311 call center. It's currently located in the fifth floor of the 730 building. And previously, there had been no allocations for uh, office space uh, and it probably should have been. So it's just uh, recognizing that they share that space and need to pay an allocated cost of it. 
It's around 2,300 square feet of space. So, okay. Well, how was the rent being paid previously? It's all been uh, paid under the cost center for public utilities. So in recognizing that there is a difference between enterprise funds and general funds, we need to make sure that the space allocation is not paid out of the, the enterprise fund. It needs to be allocated to the general fund. Okay. So I assume that on the, in the DPU budget, then it's going down 40000 right? I would have to defer that to uh, our Department of Finance uh, at the DPU. Okay. Okay. And then um, secondly, I guess it's less of a more specific question, just a comment. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think our fourth district office is unique compared to other council offices in that we get a ton of calls from people that have tried to reach 311 and can't. Um, I don't know if they, they leave messages or they call and nobody answers, but they are not getting a response. Um, so they call our office, and then we route everything you know, through department heads, which seems incredibly inefficient, and it's frustrating to me. So you know, everything you said sounds amazing. I would like services to be improved, but I'm not super confident. So I, I just, I want to know what's going to be, aside from us hiring some more people, um, how can we move some of these questions back to you all um, and really get people I think 311 has not been as effective as it could have been for a long time and so um, our residents aren't using it as much as they should be and they're calling their council people's office so how are we changing this whole culture issue right and uh, the way we're going to be changing that is by enacting the Department of Citizen Service and Response. That will give it the focus that it needs. The, um, we've done quite a lot over this past fiscal year to improve services. The biggest thing that we did back in the summer, in July of 2017, is we actually implemented separate phone numbers, one for 311, that is 311 or 646-7000, and a separate number for utilities, 646 4646. There was a lot of angst and inefficiencies having one number for all those services. So by splitting that, we've created some efficiencies. In the course of that time for 311, we've actually reduced the average wait time by over 40% over what it was in fiscal year 17. And we've increased the service level by over 25%. We've seen similar improvements in the utility line of business in doing the same thing. So those kinds of things have made it easier for customers and citizens to call in and get responses. The other thing that I think is really important that the Department of Citizen Service and Response will focus on 
is developing strategies that improve and make it easier for citizens to contact us. It shouldn't be just by phone. Some people like to call us. Some would like to have a mobile app. Some use the Internet. Some use social media. We really need to develop those other channels to make it easier and more ubiquitous for customers and citizens to contact us. You know, in, in a call center world, you want to drive call volume down. And that the way to do that is you provide other channels and other ways for citizens and customers to contact you. So this Department of Citizen Service and Response will have that ability to focus in developing those strategies and implementing those technologies that are going to make it much easier for citizens to interact with the city. If, if that's your plan, it sounds awesome. I would like to see what the rollout and communication of that is going to be because I think the only way it's going to be effective is if people know it's there and they know how to get it in contact you mm-hmm. with you and, and get a response. You know, it's got to... It's got to work for people to continue going back to it. Ms. Gray. So just briefly, your biggest calls are around public works, which is no surprise, um, finance, social services, and planning, development, and review. Um, So are your... Folks, your customer service representatives, are they answering questions in all those departments or are they rerouting calls to the respective departments? Because there tends to be a lot of misinformation and confusion when people call that number. They're told different things, and it's, it's hit or miss on whether or not you're going to get the right answer with respect to a public works issue or... Otherwise, so are we rallying those calls to those departments, and is that where a lot of the confusion comes in, or are your people cross-trained to answer basic questions about all of those things? They're cross-trained to answer basic questions about all those things, depending on the nature of the call and whether it involves any type of uh, action to a citizen's account Uh, such as like with the Department of Finance and taxes or property taxes, there's certain limits to the amount of information that we can do in the call center where, by law, we have to hand off to another department. So some calls uh, do get into that realm where we have to pass them off to DPW or finance or social services. Uh, Most social services calls actually are just transferred to social services because we, are, we don't have access to the, 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 uh, right. the information of the citizen or the, the uh, services that they have. So. so when new programs come into play, like the LEAF program, or if someone calls about street sweeping, mm-hmm. your people would have information about what to do and where to send? Yes, absolutely. The, the uh, call center staff, works very closely with the departments who are actually fulfilling the service. In the example of LEAFs, that's DPW. Uh, We work with them and collaborate with them on developing frequently asked questions that not only are available to our call takers, but they're also available to the citizens in our self-service menus on the phone. 
just about every service that, that those groups provide, there's a uh, frequently asked question that folks can't answer uh, by calling and selecting our self-service. So they don't even really need to talk to somebody to get some of those basic questions answered. And if I may, Mr. President, just to keep you on time, we're going to come back to you many times between now and, and June 1st to be able to have these conversations with you regarding the process of the department. Uh, we will be here, uh, as, as Ms. Larson asked, on the rollout uh, if you adopt this department, yes. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Gray. We do have a budget session beginning at 1, but I understand there is only one budget amendment. So why don't we uh, plow through here if we might. Yes, and I'm sorry, Ms. Larson. I don't know. Maybe she's in the back and is hearing this, but it's her amendment. Yes, Mr. Addison. Thank you, Council President. Um, as probably many of you know, I worked with the call center project for a lot of my career um, here at Ball and City Hall um, previously, and this is a, um, I wouldn't want to say negatively overdue, but a needed change to the structure of how this department works. I think citizen communication is often seen as a, um, it's fragmented in many capacities in most cities, and the best practice is consolidating this under a specific um, department operational capacity. I really think that once this is rolled out with some new CRM improvements and some communication ability of driving accountability and getting some better answers across all these issues, it'd be great to know kind of the work volume being requested from all nine council members and the things being done citywide in response to those. And I think this move really helps elevate that importance for driving transparency and accountability and access to services for the city residents that have um, long found frustration in terms of wait times, hold times, lack of response, tickets being closed without any explanation. And I think this is a way to really elevate that to one place. And so I know this is a big shift, but I think it's one that has been um, overdue. And there are so many countless examples of where this is how it's structured in other cities, and that's the outcome of what it does, is it changes that, that dynamic and gives us a place that we can turn our residents to and also to keep track of things ourselves. I think this is going to be um, a good move and one that is not going to be without its growing pains, as all changes like this are, but I know that this is what I think is a, a good step forward. Great. Thank you, Mr. Addison. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. And we appreciate your time. And for uh, the, uh, the efficiency of your presentation, as always, Ms. Larson, we're going to the uh, budget amendments. So, Ms. Brown, if we can... We want to give you a minute, Ms. Larson, if are you ready to ready to roll now? I'm ready-ish. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, Bryce is bringing down a a little brief summary of it, but I mean the, it's pretty straightforward. Um, it is. Uh, I'm sorry, I can buy you a couple of minutes here, Ms. Brown, if you want to. Do you want to introduce this one or? Sure. Um, at this budget work session, we've only received one um, amendment proposal uh, increase, which is by Councilwoman Larson to increase the police's budget um, to provide for a private security camera ins incentive program. And the proposed amendment is to increase the budget for 50000 Okay. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Larson? 
Um, yes, this is something that I've seen um, in D.C., where they give a rebate to um, residents and businesses that have um, security cameras outside of their location. And um, when they get the rebate, then they also agree that the police department has access to the footage, not like live access, but if an incident occurs, they can go and, and get the the tapes and use it in their investigation. So I've talked informally to the chief and to Mike Herring about it, and they're both supportive of the program. Um, legal is sort of helping to see how it would work. Um, it's not an easy, this is exactly how it would work, but at first I wanted to introduce it to my colleagues, see what the feedback is before we dig too deep into legal hours to try and make it work. So initially to launch it, it would be straightforward $100 rebate. You'd have certain like um, technical requirements for the cameras and such um, per household or business for the camera. You'd sign the, the agreement that you would allow access and uh, there would be a, a date that you'd have to have it in. And I figured for the first year, we would just run the program as if we did $100 per location, that's 500 um, rebates, and see what sort of feedback we get. Okay. Sounds like that's fairly straightforward. Uh, boy, it looks like this side of the room has got a lot of questions here. Uh, Mr. Agilesto, then Ms. Gray, I think it's a, hand of, it's a hand of support. Uh, and, okay. And right. just We're to going offer, right to that. Offer a little bit more context. Um, we have a lot of care uh, corridors and other uh, programs where we're trying to uh, incentivize redevelopment. And unfortunately, security cameras are not uh, one of the equipment categories that can be reimbursed through those programs. So property owners can't get funded through other sources. So I think that this would be an appropriate use of monies. Thank you. Thank you. I have uh, got a couple of minutes here, I think was our, our rule on that. But uh, Mr. Jones, after uh, Ms. Gray, did you have a comment? And then Ms. Trammell, or we can go right to Ms. Trammell. I don't have a question, just a quick comment. I support okay. the concept. I just um, wanted more detail on how it would be administered and whether or not this is enough funding to administer such a program. Okay, thank you. Ms. Trammell. I have the same concerns. I didn't know anything about this, so I, I need to know more information on this. Okay, Mr. Anderson. Um, Thank you. My question, um, I, th I think the, the effort for what you're looking to do is, is good. I just have some questions more about operational capacity with it is, you know, who administers and controls it? Are there staff needs to support this process for how we do that? Where is that going to come from? And then the question I have, too, is, you know, this has been with DC had the same issue. If it's a personal database of information, of video storage, how do we enforce that we get access to it if we need it? <laughs> So what is the ownership of access to that security camera in response to this stipend or refund or 
program support to make sure that we understand that if we're giving you this, you're also, if we need to get data from you, you have to provide that because that could become just legally defined challenge. And I just want to know what the process for handling that issue was because I think it's as good as get as many eyes active in the, in the community as possible because the police can't always be there. But just basic details like that are important to me to understand how it's going to operate in totality. Thank you. Uh, yes, Mr. Jones. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm My sorry. I thought your hand was up here. I apologize. Uh, uh, yes, uh, Vice President, do you have any comments before Ms. Cuffey Glenn? Go ahead, Ms. Cuffey Glenn. President Hilbert, Selena Cuffey Glenn. I just wanted to make the observation that the police chief is not here at the moment to respond to questions that you've raised. I know he has reached out to Councilwoman Larson. The item was scheduled for 1 p.m., and he was scheduled to be here at that time. So I know there are questions that you do have, because for any initiative, we do want to make sure there is staff support as it relates to how it's going to be executed. Uh, but I know there were questions and um, conversation that you two have but I don't think the rest of the city council probably is privy to that information. But he was scheduled to be here at 1 o'clock regarding the amendment. So I did want you, you not to at least have an opportunity to hear from him as released to the item. I have no idea if you know the availability of the chief uh, during our informal meeting, which begins at 4. We can certainly check on that, sir, for you. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. All right. We hate to come back at 1. Hopefully the chief will be available. Uh, and if not, then we'll we'll take it from there. This shouldn't take a, a long amount of time, but I would prefer that we uh, skip the one to three session, if at all possible. Mr. Jones. I just have a question, since I'm just now seeing this for the first time. If this deals with, does this include existing cameras, so individuals that have existing cameras? And by your head nod, I'll take that as no. So it's an incentive for individuals to put new cameras up. Um, and my only question and concern is how would that impact lower income communities as well? Um, because again, that, that, that would just be one thing if ones, if it was simply about ones that are existing, that's fine. But if we're talking about implementing new cameras, many individuals in the ninth, ninth district may not be able to afford a particular system and then by the monitoring of that system as well. And so what, uh, what provisions could be made uh, for that and understanding that you know the $100 is not necessarily a lot of money uh, uh, to help cover the cost of uh, uh, that type of initiative but again it would be um, more or less not impacting a side of town that would need uh, some type of assistance especially as it relates to uh, deterring crime. Thank you. Any further um, comments? Yes, Vice President Newbill. Yes, I just wanted to, and I think uh, pursuant to Ms. Coffey Glenn's determination of the Chief's availability, questions could be answered, but I wanted more information in terms of discussion with the Chief implications for um, the um, police department as well as for legal in terms of the follow-up, the um, all of that. I just want to get a better sense of this initiative and uh, what he perceived to be the possible impact in terms of overall public safety. 
um, strategy. So, and from the legal perspective as well, it just seems as if there might, well, both of those. So, if he's here, and then Mr. Jackson, if you're able to opine from the le- not in this moment from the legal perspective. Um, folks have to agree, sign some agreements, it sounds like, and then what the implications are in terms of accessing uh, the footage on and on. So, And I can wait on that. Yeah, those are all details that uh, Ms. Larson and I have touched on, but um, there's still quite a bit of logistics to, to work through. All right, great. Any, uh, any further uh, comments, questions? If not, I declare this meeting adjourned.